finally, Josh Neal. Wow. Finally on content minded. Um, very exciting. Uh, I think that what I want to do is I want to cover, um, I think it warrants like perhaps uh, multiple episodes what we want to cover, but um, the one, I think like the two essays I had in mind besides the postscript was your piece in Firstness Magazine and the other one, I mean, the, the good and evil stuff I think we could cover at another time, but what's interesting in terms of thematic content is we're going with that piece in Firstness and also the other piece about uh, emnetizing the total man. But, um, well, let's just start with general introductions. So, <laughs> everyone knows who you are, I assume, Josh Neal. Probably not, actually. You've got you, you've got more years on me. You've got more experience, more following. And I think a lot of people who like you, if they know me, they probably hate me. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, yeah, I'm so. assuming me. <laughs> So just do like your basic uh, introduction. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, uh, my friend. All right. Um, yeah. So, well, I, I used to be a professor or a, an adjunct teaching psychology. Uh, I used to have a practice, mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. and I used to do amateur racisms on the internet, uh, <laughs> and that was the end of, of all of that. Um, you can see how one now, leads to the other. Like, you know? yeah. yeah, there's a very, there's a, there's a through line there that you don't have to look too hard for. Uh, but these days, um, I'm, I primarily write, uh, I, I published with Imperium press. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They're still publishing me. Uh, I hope to maintain that relationship in the future. Cause I think they're one of the, they're one of the people, one of the groups to have come out in the last few years to, I, I think, really make a dent. Uh, when people like Mark Andreessen are, are tweeting about your one of the books that you publish, uh, that's that's not inconsequential. Yeah. If Mencius Moldbug, who goes on Fox News, talks to Tucker Carlson, is raving about your uh, translation of The Ancient City, mm. uh, I mean, you have some real cachet. And yeah. I think they, they carry themselves in a disciplined way and um yeah so i've I wrote for them american extremist we're re-releasing it as a hardcover soon mm, nice. and uh this hardcover edition is gonna have a couple extra essays which nice. we're talking about today and uh but do you feel so i guess like from all the interviews i've seen i don't know if you've really uh maybe like years ago you probably delved into like your personal story with what happened but you were an adjunct in psychology right like you were yeah yeah, and uh, not to you don't have to disclose your university, but I guess maybe it's public knowledge. Um, uh, well, I mean, I was a freelancer. I, I taught at a lot of schools mm. inside of CUNY, outside of CUNY. Wow, holy shit! Uh, trade schools, uh, Catholic private schools, big city colleges. Uh, <laughs> and nice. I, I said this to Eric Stryker one time. You know, the fact that someone like me had a teaching post uh, is very. It speaks very badly of education. Uh, you know, it's like they needed fresh bodies. Yeah. They took this bright-eyed, bushy-tailed guy right out of grad school who didn't know what he wanted to do, and they're like, go. Uh, no training, no support. Uh, the other faculty basically on on first meeting insulting the, the student body and their mental capacities. So it, 
uh, it was kind of wacky. But uh, yeah, I won't name them. A quick Google will mm-hmm. reveal mm-hmm. the notable ones. Um, well, Cooney, that's pretty like that's not exactly heavy league, but like that's up there. Like that's well, it's, it's a it's a it it's a big branch. It's a big yeah. system. It's, it covers a lot of schools. Yeah. Uh, some notable and prestigious some not so much everything in between um but i don't hang my hat on that like it was a job Hmm. uh it was very important for me to develop as a publicly facing person or just as a as like developing competencies skills how to talk to people there's a lot of things that i think even in a a discipline that's like you know not rigorous in a mathematical way or whatever but there's still ideas that you can only understand the consequences of when you're explaining them to a room full of people who don't know what you're talking about, don't care, and are disinclined to like you. So you have all of those things. It's like, okay, you really got to work to yeah. flesh out what it is you think about things. And so I'm happy for that. And it all led to where I am now, and I'm happy to be where I am now. So That's I don't want to talk too badly about it. Yeah. Yeah, of course. I mean, we all have those experiences. Like I had, I had a pretty great time in university to tell you the truth. Like I had a pretty, um, well-rounded, uh, just by virtue of going to like a smaller, um, regional university that had more to offer that was unique. I had a very positive experience and in some ways, perhaps maybe the professors I was with, they were like sort of freaks as well. So that potentially hurt my ability to like go on into like a more like by the numbers, larger philosophy or political science department, like it's say in university of Toronto or whatever, but no, I was pretty grateful for the people I was with. And, uh, I, this was like right in the cusp before like stuff really like went down and, you know, I tried to apply to a PhD, but then just one thing led to another and I don't exactly have the, I think specific type of personality that they're looking for. I think they, Mm. you know, it's interesting to ponder why they do and don't accept you. Cause in my experience, they don't tell you why like a job interview. They're just like, thank you. No, thank you. Uh, and I think it's easy for people to like self marginalize. Oh, they don't want me there. Mm -hmm. And I I definitely, cause I applied twice, almost got in my first time, but I I didn't know my, my ass from my elbow. So I was not an asset to a, to a doctoral program. But, uh, the second time, like I didn't really want to (laughs) go and I was kind of going through the motions. And when the, when the rejection letters came back, I was like, yeah, well, I screw it. I, I didn't want to, I really didn't want to do this. Like the whole time I'm like praying, well, so, something else, please come across my table. I don't care what it is. I don't want to go back. Uh, so, but I, a lot of people are like that. Oh, I'm too sophisticated for, for them or blah, 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 or, or they don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to, um, insult potentially your audience but like you do get some people who are like well they don't want a straight white guy here i guess that's the only reason uh like obviously they have prejudices against straight white people but there's there's other factors that go into it it's just one of those things you go through life like you never get any feedback like a girlfriend that's just like ghosts you one day you're like i'll never know why this happened yeah yeah and no exactly i think like people i think are wrong about the censorship aspect it's not that it's not that like they 
specific like i mean there are certain programs that have like targets or whatever but like mm-hmm. it's more so that they're looking for a particular type of like deferential personality and phenotype so it's not like they're going to immediately discredit you but also i think like my project was pretty vague and you need to find like really a specific person that um accepts what you want to do like you almost have to tailor your work to a specific professor mm-hmm. that you want to work with and depending on the year, whether they're like, oh, I don't want to do it. But like, see, this is the alchemy. This is the secret of academia is that you have to find someone in, mas- in your master's, your MA, that knows someone else that you want mm. to be with. And who you want to be with, you better, like, craft your project to their current research. Because it's very low effort, right? That's the way it works. But then, so by the time they actually get to the, oh, I forget the exact term they call it. But it's like the committee to, like, pick the grad mm-hmm. students that they're taking from the pool of applicants by the time they get to the actual grad committee at like, usually I want to say like late summer, uh, they already know who they're going to pick. And it's just like a formality of like stamping it, like, mm-hmm. you know, putting in the register. Um, so that, I think that was my problem. I just maybe didn't, I like cast a wide net instead of like, you know, but of course, like the professors I had in my university, they um a lot of them like were on the outs with other faculty members in other universities so it's yeah. like you know you're not gonna accept a student from so and so uh because like oh, i don't like that person like that's how it works usually it's like you get painted with the sin of uh <laughs> the people that you're your supervisor that you're working with so, yeah that definitely it's very pl- it's worse now i mean obviously yeah. canada and and new- i don't know where canada you are but new york is are there different places different yeah i'm, I'm fairly very- close i'm in niagara falls i want to near Niagara Falls but yeah, yeah. Uh, okay yeah yeah I mean but it's the same problems beset us here and yeah that was the big issue for like when I applied at 25 I had no clue what I wanted to do that and, and again at 30 I was like that's what you described was exactly it you have to find the person doing the thing at that time and it has to be really niche and and yeah you do have to be kind of I don't know it's obsequious the word you have to yes. you have to be you've got to be their their little minion underling and uh I was not really fully developed well at all, like uh, in terms of how I thought about things. And honestly, it was only until I, I did this silly internet foray and uh, <laughs> torched my life that that there was like, oh, okay. There was like a, a, a dividing light. It's like, oh, n- now I understand like things a little bit better. And, mm. and I have things that, that are interesting to me. But part of it too was like, I didn't really have a research interest and so i mean how do you write hoity-toity highfalutin like i guess my essay in firstness whatever you want to call it so sociological criticism or whatever like i guess you'd have to go to a philosophy program for that or whatever and yeah you'd have something to go adjacent to, like probably a social like a like a studies department or a lit department like something of that nature because even like having like gone to like one of the last i would say pretty decent philosophy departments um that is now dead by the way because they systematically destroy the humanities programs um and now it's integrated with the classics and it's like this interdisciplinary humanities bull because Mm -hmm. they wouldn't give enough money for professors that were retiring but like i was lucky enough because i was on the cusp of that um like having gone to a pretty unique philosophy department that let me do work both in continental and eastern philosophy the vast majority of philosophy personalities are dead pretty much like they're they're either like strictly like analytic departments especially in north america and anything that 
broaches a lot of what you talk about or even Eastern philosophy, you have to go to like a studies department, you have to go to lit department or something else, like something that you're going to be like swimming in the waters of like postmodern, like a lot of French theory and stuff like that. I mean, no French theory is like to people that's like a pejorative in our circles, but I like it a lot. Yeah. I like some of it a lot. Yeah. That's like what my research was, was Michel Foucault, but like that's, um, but yeah, so what, what did develop, like what did happen? Like, I want to get into like your translation, but like what, what became your major thesis work after? Like, did you develop? Uh, No, I mean, for better or worse, uh, I'm not as abstract minded as maybe I present myself as. And and I think that was part of the, or it's like very easily, easy to, to chase abstractions, but like to find something that I would want to spend a year on or whatever, Mm. that was always more difficult. And then associating with who I associated with, uh, personalized all the things that I was reading and thinking about and talking about. And, uh, when, and I always wanted to be a writer since I was a a, a small child. Mm. Uh, Mm -hmm. it was always just like, what do I write about? And I mean, there's a whole like psychology of, of like becoming a writer that is almost worth getting into, but I don't want to bore people with, you know, my personal pity story. It was really difficult for a long time. And if I go, if you go through every laptop I have, there's like, abandoned folders with 30 word documents of this idea and that project and this short story and that potential research project or whatever. Uh, but when, you know, New York Antifa and and affiliated people, uh, went after me, um, it, it, it gave me a view on So I guess what the book really is about in certain ways, like it's looking at normality and it's looking at dysfunction. Right. And I right. think I got a much closer look at the particular type of dysfunction that yeah. is driving like our, our contemporary world. And of course it was just on the internet with a few thousand, 10,000, whoever people, uh, some of whom are miscreants and antisocial, some of whom are just alienated, and marginalized, some of whom are relatively normal and curious everywhere in between. But like most things, it's the, the the noisy kid in the back of the classroom that that drives the the <laughs> the, the penal code of the of the of the room, so to speak. Right. And uh, and you know, I had I had certain I had a lot of naivetes about uh, just people in general and like what drives them to do what they do. So that like the thesis I was I had floated potentially when I was applying was. Uh, basically like in, in the vein of Jonathan Haidt, uh, Lawrence Kohlberg, like moral decision-making. And I had proposed like, I don't know, I don't even remember. It was half-assed. It was something I put down because it was like, I had no idea what I would spend four years doing, yeah. but it was like, you know, the Ber- Bernie Sanders voters versus Trump voters or something. It was like it, all the stuff that was in vogue bubbling up, yeah. uh, like really showing the, the hyper polarization that we're now dealing with was interesting to me and uh and over the course of like doing podcasts and 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 youtube shows and things like that uh you just kept swimming in this undercurrent that's dry that's not driving hyperpolarization because in the book my whole argument is like a top-down you know hyperpolarization is is happening because of entrenched 
powers and 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 interests uh whereas you know jane new yorker writer would would say it's incels on the internet or or these people or that people, people there's they don't some like. kind of process of like radicalization and um there's some kind of like which is it's funny because the way that they speak of like people like in our circles and elsewhere is very much kind of like a form of biopolitical control in itself the way like the language of marginalization and the language of surveillance and so forth among these people like yeah but anyways, i cut you off go ahead go ahead yeah so you're yeah, going through this you're trying to formulate your ideas and yeah so yeah um oh i agree with where you were going and we can maybe circle yeah. back to that later on yeah. but you know as far as what was like the bit the the big idea or the thesis or whatever it really has always been what is drive well i guess ultimately as a thirty thousand foot view it's what's what drives belief what drives passion what drives action like i got into psychology um because i thought i could do philosophy but i probably won't ever make any money joke mm. was on me because you can't make any money in psychology either unless nope. you go whole hog um yeah. but i was always interested in you know the why of 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 the way we why we do the things that we do and um you if you like really throw yourself into something like this this community of public discourse scholasticism whatever um I, I what I came at the other end was with a kind of irrationalist view like this is so much of this is just window dressing uh and th there's a very 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 small percentage of people where this is you could say like a product of their free will or what have you mm. and even in those cases like that's not really true um there, there's inter there's intergroup dynamics there's sort of I guess what people like, this is where I got it from, Corey Anton or other people would call it like the sort of media or online ecologies that crop up that have their own sort of policing mechanisms of discourse and have their own sort of, let's call them knowledge feedback loops. Mm -hmm. that, I mean, in my current S, like essay series, I'm trying to write on the e, what I call the e-write. I mean, I go into this, but also I, I wrote this other essay years ago about shark wombing, what I call it. Um, which was actually published by someone who hates my will never like each other ever again. The, um, the thinker of ironies, but in his, <laughs> his publication, which is ironic, but um, no, but yeah, it's, it, there is even the people that have a capacity to exert, I guess what approximates free will in terms of like spreading certain discursive, let's call them contagions, if you will, of thinking, even those people, even some of the, you know, some of the big accounts and e-celebs that you have respect for, even they have their own sort of proclivities that prevent them from a full embodiment of like the sort of how they structure their thinking, because a lot of it mm -hmm. is very unconscious. I mean, that's, and to not like to say that that's not the case is kind of like <laughs> solipsism in itself, but like you, you've written about this anyways, yeah, yeah, go on. This is just a tangent, you know? Yeah. A welcome one. Um, so you know, there's a lot of attention paid everywhere. Um, people want to, you know, of their own volition, self-identify. They want to construct some sense of themselves. And as far as doing like commentary or polit politics or philosophy or whatever, there's a lot of uh, 
like you're talking about the enforcement, but also like the, I need to have a word for what I am and what I do. And that's like, that's like, that's underlining the, the gender identity stuff, the queer stuff, right. the it all stuff. Right. Uh, and I just kind of landed in a place where like, uh, I call it Mike Tyson syndrome, uh, for better or for worse. Uh, I, I struggle to be really dishonest with myself and with other people. I'm not, it's not like a humble brag. Like I'm patting myself on the back. Yeah. Like it's like, I'm, to quote Alex Jones, listen, folks, I'm kind of, uh, so <laughs> at the end of the day, I was like, all right, well, what am I really? Well, I'm a suburban middle-class, uh, second generation white American person. And, uh, I can read what fascists had to say or communists had to say, or this group, that group. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, what am I really here for? What am I doing this for? What, what animates my life? What am I trying to do? And it's like, I'm just a normal average guy. And that was the view I took behind the book. Uh, and, um, Josh, let me ask say... you a question. Do you have sex? <laughs> Is that cause I, you're a normal guy, right? Uh, yeah, not presently. No, not at this exact but moment. You did though. In the past once. Uh, and I'm terribly well, ashamed of it. Yeah. Yeah. No, <laughs> no, but that's what I, I think my, my buddy Astro once said that I know, I know maybe you and him had a bit of a tiff, but uh, my buddy Astral, he said, like, you could tell um, the dividing line in the online right is people that are perceived as having sex and people that don't have sex. <laughs> and I think, like, in some ways, even though I fall upon the latter camp, um, I think that it is a good metric for, like, just stability and normality. And, like, I, I think, like, um, what's interesting about you is that you have an ability to sort of cut through orthodoxies um, even among like in the e-right, I figure, um, and, and there's certain like issues that you express that even, um, if it pisses people off, I think like, that's a, that's a test of like, there's reading the room and then there's like reading the room to the point where the room becomes the totality of who you are. You know, <laughs> like when Chapo Sal say, you better read the room, bro. It's like that, that is the appeal to, that's like a sort of their own like macho, uh, or pretend macho like cool guy way of saying like conform right but then there's other people that like i think purposefully don't read the room and they're like anti-social miscreants mm -hmm. and there's tons of them i mean in any various gab or telegram or whatever ghetto like 50th twitter burner account but then there's people that i think can express a level of ungovernability in terms of discourse but don't exactly make a spectacle of it and I think like you're one of them. I mean, maybe I could be wrong, but <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, maybe you have made a spectacle of it. And I'm just like being generous to you. I don't know. Maybe you are. You, you, yeah. you're known for being too nice. So let's, let's cut that yeah. in the middle and we'll say, uh, I'm not making too much of a spectacle of it, but I mean, look, there's, I mean, it's it particular in particular now, um, where it does seem from my view, like almost every major camp has kind of, disintegrated or is yes. in the process of disintegration oh, Dis disintegration yep. for again for better or for worse it's happening there's nothing that can be said about it uh can be done about it rather uh and so even something like the sex haver versus the non-sex haver that's for one thing that's a thing people easily lie about for another <laughs> it's something that yeah. like people will it's it's a um, heuristic that gets too much uh traction too much 
has too much influence over the rest of the decision making. So, but the the general principle of like, does this is this person in the world, or are they not in the world? Right. Are they in the world of the thing that they're talking about? If I care about geopolitics, uh, and I'm always talking about geopolitics, what America should do, what America should be like, what Russia should do, what Russia should be like. But I'm a Vietnamese guy living in Poland. He'd probably sit back and say, mm, unless there's something really unique about this person that bull, I call bull. Uh, and it's the same thing with like people, if, really anyone you can just extrapolate but the, as a general principle the, the like, brazilian alt writer that's probably a good one <laughs> yeah. right yeah. right right so shout out to my uh, friend dora by the way i i don't mean that offensive to my friend dora but like that's usually the meme of like the alt right is castiza movement <laughs> it is true there's a staggering amount of indians and brazilians who are in the alt right in the remnants yeah. of the alt right so yeah. well i guess it depends what part of india and what part of brazil oh very true uh, you could maybe <laughs> make an true. exception yeah but uh, yeah Varanasi maybe by the Kalari. like well what's that one region the southern one it's like uh yeah but um sorry i'm cut you off go ahead, go ahead. no problem as far as like you know how did you get here? Uh, I, you know, I, I found, thankfully, that the cancellation happened just months before COVID. So all life got canceled for a few years. So my condition was kind of like suddenly everybody's condition, although for different reasons. And uh, I sat down and I was like, well, what do I write, write about? And someone was like, well, why don't you, <laughs> someone like lovingly suggested, like, why don't you do the, oh, gee golly, I'm sorry routine. Mm, uh, that never works <laughs> and and he's like and you can write about like uh the left and the right and duh, 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 duh. and i was like that's what we're not gonna do uh but anyway i thought on it and i was like there's an angle you can take on this that is not betraying mm -hmm. what you've done and what you've said and and could potentially contribute to things and to rewind slightly um and I guess it ultimately ends up being the theme of a lot of the writing that I've done since mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, is it's, it's the central theme of the book, which is like, okay, this extremism, this hyperpolarizing is, is being directed. Uh, it's intentional. It's, it's methodical. There's a science behind it. There's a, a religious ethos behind it. Uh, there's many, many things that go into it. Uh, and, and that's being driven. And so any discourse that you want to talk about is always in a particular frame uh, right. reinforced, as you were saying before, by certain people in certain ways. And I was like, well, what's the best thing I can do? I'm not going to reinvent the wheel. I'm not like a big system person that's going to propose my own thing. Mm -hmm. um, I'll just be a little, uh, I'm like an engineer. I'm just going to go in and tweak things a little bit. And hopefully the engine will, will work the way that it should. So like that um, kind, kind of became the, the approach I took for the book, which is like, okay, you have this big problem. Um, and it's not to say that like I was ahead of the curve or, you know, Cassandra syndrome or something, but certainly after the book came out, you had the events at the Capitol. You had the Canadian, I don't know what else I can say that the certain you could thing, say the convoy. Yeah. I think okay. You could say, the convoy. Yeah. I mean, you had all of America light on fire for like four months. Uh, and, and there was a renewed, and then the, the trial for Charlottesville and the written house and then the written house trial and, um, going on at the same so, time too. I yeah. Yeah. I yeah, remember being like in DM groups talking about, it's like one DM group would be about written house. The other would be about, um, the guy, the hairdo's, uh, 
beanie baby he had with him or whatever it was. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So, and, and now suddenly everyone's concerned about extremism. Everyone's concerned about these things. Stochastic I mean, again, T word. Yeah. That's the, yeah. the buzz, the bread to buzz term. Yeah. Yeah. And Stochastic not like, now. Yeah. Not like it, these things weren't an issue then, but it certainly has taken on a new life since. And I was like, if I can just deflate this balloon, maybe I've done the one bit of good I can do with whatever talents that I have. Yeah. Uh, and then the book got done and I kept thinking about things uh, and I was like, oh, I guess the book's not done. <laughs> so I wrote these new essays uh, that are fleshing out some unpulled threads from the book. Uh, namely, I think what what I'm, I don't know if I can claim ownership of the word hyperworld, but because uh, I did run it through Google and I didn't see a whole lot of hits, but the the creation and created life world versus right, hyperworld right. that seems again I published that and then a month later the meta thing happened and now people are talking about uh, violating digital bodies and and the rights of yes, your avatar yeah. and it's like this is taking a renewed uh, there's there's new life in this corpse of of like lawnmower man or whatever that everyone's freaking out about um and then the second essay <laughs> is like yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the second essay is like because again the book ends sorry about that with kind of this slightly impotent conjecture about okay uh shuck off the chains of neoliberal morality we need something new i didn't propose anything new uh, I put that forth in the second essay. And again, it's not like a complete thing. It's like a blind person groping in the dark. But I think there's uh, some useful concepts. People are like, what are these guys talking about? Because it's not available anywhere yet. But we'll obviously, I'm setting this up. Uh, and then the last essay is really more broadly about evil. One time you and I talked on a on a podcast was with Tyler, his like secret, whatever, Christmas show. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And that came up in the conversation a lot. Uh, and that's one of the sticking points I have with Christianity. Anyway, mm-hmm. I, I wasn't trying to write something polemical about Christianity. So I made it just more panerological, like in the theme of the book, like or, I mean, the whole idea of panerology is it's you're studying evil. OK, so there is theoretically a scientific or secular way of looking at this issue. I'm not a I'm not a Christian in the world actually doing Christian things. Mm -hmm. Uh, So this is the best that I can do. And that's where I'm at. And I I do kind of see into the future. If there's one thing the average person, and if I, I think I am pretty average, there's one thing the average person can do. It's to try to make a little bit more sense of the world as it's progressively getting crazier. And I don't, I'm not the only person to say this. I think it's pretty much indisputable, no matter who you are. Things are getting, not to get all meme on you, but things are getting crazier. People are literally losing <laughs> their minds. Things are getting crazy out there, eh? Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. Um, oh, sorry, did I cut you off? Um, no, no, that's, yeah. that's, that's the end of my No, it's dance. true. I, th- I think it's interesting how it, it seems that like both you and I are, I guess, engaged with a number of other people in the sort of like exploration of the sort of hyper world, as you call, which we will get into um, people like you, me, my good friend, Catherine, um, John David Ebert, um, although he's been having some problems recently, unfortunately, um, there's other people that are sort of like, I would say like, you know, Corey Anton would be one of them, but he's like a legitimate 
like you were, you know, a legitimate professor. Uh, but also, like, there there seems to be, I think, a, a drive. Like, I was talking about this with my friend Prudentialist, right? Like, we were talking about doing a show regularly. And uh, we're like, what are we going to call it? He's like, host archipelago. But he's like, no, how about digital archipelago? Because I ran the Ooh. thing through. I ran the thing through Dolly, right? The and it came up with this sort of uh, network aesthetic thing, I'm like digital archipelago, right? So I'm, I might paint something for the buffer image, but it's it just reminded me of like how nowadays I think that I th- especially uniquely of a millennial perspective that we're sort of trying to figure out that as much as we have a sort of capacity, and you talk about this as well in a negative sense about nostalgia and how this sort of early internet till now, how we think that there is this huge chasm between the childhood of the millennial and then pioneering the internet and that now, but like you were clearly saying in your essay, it's in its infancy in a way. And the true, like I think stark implications on the human subject in the sort of like the digitality that we find ourselves in the virtual. Um, and I think that, you know, even writers like just at the cusp of the 21st century, Although while Baudrillard made it to the 20th, 21st century, uh, but like, you know, but when, uh, before Deleuze, um, what's the Stardust term? What does he always use? Checked out, sunsetted himself. Uh, he wrote that essay, Societies of Control. And I think mm-hmm. that him and guitar, well, more, I would say Felix Guitari with like Chaosmosis and Three Ecologies, like they sort of preempted what philosophy and, say, and sort of, what philosophy and social psychology and even sociology itself would look like in the age of the hyper of the hyper world in the age of the internet. And, but anyways, before I want to get into that, maybe, I mean, you don't have to like name names, but you were, you were an adjunct, you were doing work in academia, which is increasingly difficult to find nowadays. Um, but what was it that really got you clipped by, the uh anti you know what people was it associating with certain uh yeah podcasters it was was guilt by association just as a brief aside you mentioned Deleuze before and Mm. it's a funny thing now to look back as i two years i haven't (laughs) been in a classroom and there was seven years of my more than seven seven years as as an instructor and then obviously a lot more as a student uh and it's just it's funny to come out of that and like actually do independent reading and do right fairly high level oh. reading of important historical people and you're like none of these people get named at all uh in like a general psychology course like so much of it for example takes from lacan and and deleuze and you wouldn't know it because no textbook ever mentions their names right they'll, t- they'll take like one little concept that that some researchers tried to validate or whatever and they give you none of the big theoretical implications which is a shame because I mean, I'm not a Lacanian in a, in a meaningful sense. I'm not a Deleuzian in a meaningful right, sense, right. but there's like really good stuff that you can take from there. And just, just the state of education is very poor, but yeah, they got me on guilt by association. Uh, I did not handle <laughs> my affairs intelligently people. I was publicly associating with years ago. You know, I might still chat with, I'm not on the outs with anybody formally or informally. I'd like to keep it that way. You know, again, like it, this was a big growing up, it's embarrassing to say because I'm 36 now, but it was a late phase growing pain where I was like, okay, do this thing, learn the lesson, mm. get on with your life. And I, you could say that um, there was a certain weakness. I mean, this is like what libs will say about 
us or anyone that's a dissenter really is, okay, there's some profound stain of weakness that's driving this. Ergo, you're wrong, you're bad, so on and so forth. Which you're ontologically part- evil. You know. <laughs> yes. And which yeah. is partly true. Like there was weakness that's that was driving that. That's also like kind of a meaningless statement too. Like yeah. absence or lack or weakness drives lots of things. Uh, most things, it's really cold out. Let me invent fire. Uh, we're, you know, we're starving. Let's invent refrigeration, blah, 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 blah. Uh, making a few leaps there in terms of how we got from fire to refrigerators. But yeah. uh, so, you know, I didn't, you know, I was trying to pursue academia without head on straight about what that meant or what I'd need to do. Or uh, or the other view would be like, I, I shouldn't have been there. And that whole process was like coming yeah. to here where I can think do, do they more still, or less for myself. Do they still, I mean, I'm, this is a self-serving question for my own online presence, but do they still come after you or they've largely just ignored you ever since the book came out? Um, I Look, I'm, here's the thing too that's kind of crazy is you can really gas yourself up uh, in all these kinds of activities, but the reason I got clipped is because I was a low-hanging fruit, very easy target. That's and what I was going to get. Yeah, I was alluding to that, but but nowadays, I mean, they don't come after you as much. So they've, already, they've already done their butcher's deed, right? They've already, Yeah. They, they, yeah. The, the vultures did one take like a couple of months later when I, my first public appearance back or one of the first ones. Uh, but like, I'm a nobody. That's the truth of this. It was always the truth of this. It's the fact that uh, there's a certain anti N word, not that N word, anti N word industry that they need to find people and so on yeah. and so forth. And there are people to find. And then there are people like me who are stupid enough to be found. Yeah. And, and that's really all that it was. Uh, and I can more or less operate in relative, uh, freedom until I become another easy target or I make a target of myself. I mean, that there is an element of how much do you bring undue attention to yourself? And I brought a lot of undue attention to myself and, and but it, that's like the whole conversation about like optics and how do you present yourself and getting doxxed and what's a good type of activity you engage in versus what's not a good, I, right. I think it misses like what actually happens having been canceled, it was like, oh, well, there was a, I, I left the breadcrumbs. Like, this is, duh. Like, how could this not have happened? I think if you uh, have something to lose, that's what they, so, but what was it with you? Did you, you didn't use your real, or maybe you did. Did you use real name or what, what happened? In the early, in the early goings, yeah. we, we were. And then I just chopped off my surname and went with uh, my first and middle name. And uh, ultimately what happened is, is the people you work with that, that you go sour on, uh, oh, they, I see. They oh. do it for you. So yes, of course they do the bidding of the anti people. Yes, yes. Yeah. So um, I know. I know people that happen to that happen to them where they're people. That's they were, mostly what happens. Yeah. Because they usually go to conferences with grad students who are involved in certain activist groups, and like, well, you know, this guy is getting ahead of me a little bit. Might as well knock him off a little. Like it's, mm-hmm. and and I mean, of course, like I mean. Not to not to like say you're an idiot or anything, but it is there are like you were saying there is certain names that you associate with that's kind of like the oh, all- it's an idiot. You can say it. It was very stupid. It's uh, the eye of stupid. the eye of Sauron easily goes upon you with certain names you just associate. Yeah, with. yeah. It was very boneheaded. Yeah. It was very naive and moronic. Um, thankfully, it ended well for me. Uh, mm. Or I'm it, where I am now is better even than when I was active. Yeah. 
and uh, it was necessary to, to to mature as a thinking person. Yeah. Like there was a, there was a, a wall that I couldn't break through, and losing everything and rethinking things. It's not like I I don't believe what I believed five years ago, um, but it's you know, it's a little bit more mature, and not yeah. acting like a goofball on the internet. And to maybe segue to the to the essay. Um, you're seeing this in the world generally. There's, I think, there's a, there's a, a, beyond just being a political phenomenon. People want to harmonize the the different the different worlds that they live in. They want some harmony mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in in conduct, in expectation, in in things like that. And part of it's political. Like, okay, we want our propaganda to operate in such and such way. Feedback right, loop, right. reinforce this, reinforce that. But it's also just, I think, a general. People want coherence. They want consistency. They want some sense of stability. And uh, it was the Wild West, as far as the internet's concerned. Uh, I, if you want to zoom out from just that one example, you know, there's lots of things that are a hyper world of a sort or a virtual of a sort. And that's one of the points I make in the essay is that, you know, everything in the hyper world is a Girardian duplicate of the life world. And you know, the first virtual realm is psyche. And that's mm-hmm. where people mm-hmm. get stuck before there was a screen to look at and and, and to manipulate you. Uh, and it's increasingly the case uh, now that there's just such wide like democratization of internet access and the general, I don't know, I don't want to use too many uh, Marxist buzzwords, but no, there's a ahead. certain commodifying of, of just the internet and internet conduct and yes. all these kinds of things. And as a result, things are cheaper and more, uh, more base that, you know, they're, they're people with their, like, um, this will be a dated reference, angry birds or whatever, whatever the current iteration of the pointless thing. That's just a psychopolitical trap to, to capture you. Uh, people want some, some harmony between these things. And, you know, and just to make it relevant to what I was saying before, like, I had to harmonize a little bit like, well, what am I really trying to do? And what do I really want to achieve? Uh, does it benefit me to use Twitter as a escape hatch on normal social conduct? Right. Then you have to ask yourself the question, well, what is normal social conduct? How does digital conduct differ from that? Well, the person I'm calling the F word uh, can't punch me as a result of what I said. And, right. and there's, you know, there's, if you want to take the Girardian thing full whore. Well, in real life, I mean, you're a pretty sizable dude. I mean, they probably would be physically incapable. Some blue check would be physically incapable of uh, punching you after that. But that's besides the point. Specifically blue checks, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but maybe not like the back people. There's some of those people. Oh, God, no. <laughs> yeah, that's. Well, I wanted to ask you, but. Well, just as an aside, um, we were talking a bit about your criticism of the sort of aesthetic posters and BAP, but maybe I'll save that for the paywall version, <laughs> paywall portion of it. Yeah, but, maybe. But let me go to, I for people who are lost watching this, let me um, ask you, so for those who don't know uh, really quickly, what do you mean by the Girardian double? You mean the sort of mimetic chain of one person is engaged in a mimetic sequence with someone, they influence each other, but then they start influencing, they're almost like the mirror image in terms of behavior and belief and comportment. Like they're almost, they're mimicking each other. Like that, I think that's what 
Jared Beams, it's like almost like the other doubles your own mimetic chain of significance, right? Like that's my yeah. understanding of it, right? The, I if um, I read just the one book, Things Hidden Since the Foundation of the World, so mm. I was probably lots of things I'm missing about his 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 uh, broader perspective. But uh, what I do recall him talking about is you know, it's even just like the metaphysical desire, like right. the, the the creation and the created and the the rivalry there. If you want to get biblical about it, Lucifer and 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 Yahweh. If you want to get, I mean, there's there's all Cain and Abel, Loki and Thor, hmm. uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There are those rivalries because of the lack of differentiation. Uh, or, or as a result of the attempt to differentiate, and you know that's everything that is certainly everything that's conscious wants to distinguish itself from that which is around it. Uh, the editor of Imperium Press, I don't know if this is his word for it, but di differential ontology. We know something exists because it's not something else. Right. Whether that's true or not, I mean, we could probably go on about that all day. The life world of Husserl, that or yeah, that's probably the horizon or what he called the horizon around something, an object is, is a source of differentiation. Like that's yeah. So, but also like, I think what's interesting is that in all those mythological tales and you go into Prometheus with one, but we'll, we'll get to that is sort of like the agony of knowing you are a copy of the real or the copy of the originary or the sort of, you are the sort of content to the form and there's always like that in well, not an agony of influence, but there's like the agony of knowing that you are in the image of that originary source, but yet in differentiating yourself, there's a sort of subversion or a profanation that happens. And Prometheus is, of course, the ready example because, like you said, there was sort of like a trickster element. There's sort of like a subversive element, but it's it's like um this the sort of luciferian element of you are um rebelling against the imagio itself mm -hmm. and a lot of political projects i would say and i know like maybe this is just me being like performatively uh reactionary in like the tradcath sense but it's true like there is a lot of modern political projects that are foundational to a what i would say at its heart is a satanic sort of um project that re relies upon I mean, forever you want to say about Jordan Memerson, I mean, one of his greatest quotes, yeah, my criticisms of Peterson, one of his greatest quotes was like, you know, what what was it? Um, rebelling against God for the agony of existence or something like that. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, I think that was like, I think that hits the nail on the head for like a lot of what's being normalized nowadays and sort of like the deeper lineage of a lot of these ideas because these ideas are very like ancient, I think. Um, even even like something like antinatalism, which is being normalized among Zoomers, like that has, like even the ancient Gnostics had some antinatalist trends. Um, the Pisces mm -hmm. Sophia is a text that has a lot of like very hair raising antinatalist quotes, almost like I would say species annihilation type thinking. But that's a tangent. Um, so, but before we get into those things, explain like what you mean. Explain what you mean by the sort of the hyper world and the life world or the hyper world and the real. Like what what distinguishes I have a quote here because um, I was really focusing on your firstness paper. Um, so parasociality or parasociety. 
a society on top of the real um, or on top of the, the society that we perceive of the real. You said that the virtual principle does not socialize the subject. And so I wonder, is it that there is a different form of socialization? Is there an anti-socialization in the online or the hyper world? Or is that socialization is just played out differently given the parameters of the online, like things such as anonymity and such as our instantaneous, uh, the instantaneous nature of communication and what people call internet time. But also like just really briefly before you get into that, briefly, briefly, um, what do you mean by the hyper world as opposed to the real? Or like, do you think that there is a stark distinction or do you think that these two things by virtue of their developments are sort of mimetically mirroring each other in a lot of ways? Uh, goodness, there's a lot there. So um, my interest in this idea of hyperreality, hypermodernity started with John David Ebert's book from four years ago. Yeah. And at the time I wasn't sold on it. I didn't actually think of it as like a discrete epoch separate from what came before. And, I, and that's what I feel about a lot of attempts to codify whatever we're calling post-structuralist, post-modernist, life hyper modernity is a good yeah meta modernity hyper modernity so on so forth uh there's a thing happening um it's distinct only insofar as it is an intensification of that which already exists and in that sense i accept the baudrillardian notion of the hyper real and i accept in a limited way because ebert's version of hyper modernity is a very broad be incomplete because he and that other guy had a split up i guess they never wrote the rest of those books yeah the guy uh, was some kind of grifter if i recall like trying to use his name or something like that these that's what john david hebert said but i, I don't know like, yeah don't want to insult someone but like they had a pretty huge falling out yeah i saw ebert's videos about it so i mean whatever actually happened we'll never know but that yeah, yeah. I, i'm familiar with that um so you know i i think uh you know just in a simple way because i want to make it really simple i don't want to overstep my uh, jurisdiction as a lowly ex-psychologist. But, uh, you know, the, the critical thing to me is that the hyper world is this intensification of, of, of the life world. But I guess the angle I take in the essay specifically is that it's a magnification of the flaws of the life world. And interesting, it's, interesting. it's an imperfect copy. Um, and it's kind of like, uh, George Lucas with Star Wars, like always constantly rejiggering it and and mutating it to get closer to the ideal Star Wars image. Like that's kind of what we're dealing with, uh, with the, the technocratic right. thing that's going on. Uh, but it's an intensification. And it and because it's it's a, and the other thing that I think both Baudrillard and Ebert say is that it's abstracting away from the primary uh, the originary, the, the thing that it's a copy of, or the thing that it's the, 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 the result of, um, I just, well, f what was I just saying? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. It's, it, it sort of, it's a imperfect copy or you were, well, you said a very curious statement, I guess this goes to the question about sociality on the internet or on the hyper world is that through like, it's not just that it's an imperfect copy of the real. It's not just like a, why am I even using oh, this example? Of I remember. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So it's an it's it's a it's a it's a level removed away from what came right. before, and and that stepping away has positive implications, has negative implications. That's it, always. It's not like, it's not like I don't know why I'm using this example just to appease a certain segment of my audience. Um, it's not like a slice of life anime where it's like real world, but it's better. But it's like, 
not better, but it's like a mimicking of the real world in a, like a little cute and sweet, neat package that's serialized. Um, I guess that's what I've never watched a slice of life anime, by the way, but I've just known right. what weebs tell me. Um, but yeah, you know, it's like that sort of packaged um, and there's, but instead of like being a series, it's multiple entry points and there's sort of like an infinity of the potentiality of grafting onto the real, but like you were saying, yeah, but I cut you off. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Um, and one of the, the points I make in the essay is that I guess the, the whole thrust of the essay is take a, a really banal example people upset about hate speech on Twitter. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. So you're concerned about the ethics of the users of people interacting in this wrong. You need to be concerned with the ethics of the people who made it uh, because that's setting the tone for the creation. So, I mean, like there's like some, I don't know where you could point to this originating from, but like the idea of like, if someone, if a man was a woman, the child will somehow have like this, stain of evil because right, the, right. The, the create Sorry, if you do a no-no to a to a, a birthing person yeah uh then the 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 result of that birthing person will have some the, the, their soul will carry yeah, sins right. of the father that kind of thing right. uh so i mean that's i mean there's the famous interview ex-president of facebook his his name escapes me oh, sam parker uh yeah something like that yeah. yeah and he's like yeah well we knew that this was explicitly neurohacking and that's and, and we're like oh we'll worry about it later it's like well that's what was in the heads of the people creating it you can't escape that that's now kind of an inexorable condition of participating in this and there's no there's there's now a not the impossibility of but it's it's like occluded uh higher transcendental use of this thing right so like there could be a utopic idyllic version of the hyper world um you know for the lib for the libtard it would be like a bernie sanders wet dream just on the internet oh there's no there's no n-words the other n-word uh <laughs> There's no there's no posting of gamer words. Yeah, there's yes. no there's no there's woman no hate. hate, there's no transphobia, there's no it's, Islamophobia. It's basically um what what was the meme term back in the original Bernie Sanders campaign? Um glorious um oh you know queer luxury. Uh, luxury space communism. Yeah, yeah. That's it's funny that I remember back in the day the old magazine I used to write for, uh we had the you know glorious uh, Giesler, um, luxury space fascism. Like that's another, but <laughs> that's a, that's a very particular form of right-wing ideology. Um, yeah. but yeah, essentially I think, I mean, even the, the sort of Marxoid criticism that, um, the authors had in that one infamous 1996 paper, the Californian ideology. Um, I covered that on my channel. Uh, even like theirs, I mean, I know they were like really obsessed even like back in 96 about, the racism thing but it is true like the extent to which the these sort of early net utopians had this like weird mix of like libertarian like libertarianism mixed with like sort of progressive and in some regards quasi new age um personal sociological ethos and sort of the social foundation being the sort of free and open engagement with our relation to knowledge and our relation to um our relation to like knowledge and information but also our relation to ourselves that this would create a free and open and democratic um it would basically be the living embodiment 
of Jorge Habermas's uh, communicative rationality. And uh, that has not happened. For, and, and even in 96, he pre- uh, the two authors predicted that this wouldn't happen as soon as corporations roll into the internet. But of course, I mean, another takeaway being, I explained this in my live stream, um, a takeaway being that it's funny because they were almost accurate about the online right as well. But just they had to wait a few decades because they were pointing to uh, Newt Gingrich's obsession mm-hmm. with the internet in the Clinton years. But it's like they just had to wait for the ground zero of the internet to happen. Gamergate. For it to yeah. like fully blossom into the E-right. And that in fact, the socialist utopians and the hippie New Agers like Terrence McKenna, who originally saw the potential in the internet, now that transforms into... Um, because I think of the hermeneutics of suspicion and because of the sort of covert nature of certain right-wing thinking, us being forced to create um, what in, years ago I called an essay, the MMORPG of politics and life on the internet. Um, it seems that the, there was a massive shift in the 2010s. I personally think because of the sort of the cultural victories of the Obama administration there was a shift in online politics towards the political right in the formation of the E-right. And from mm. that, from forum culture and from Chan culture, all of the sort of the colonization of Twitter in particular, creating frog Twitter. I mean, this is sort of like the genealogy of the online, right? But that's besides the point. You're talking very much in general of the sort of the way in which the hyper world socializes people in particular. But but again, do you think it's an asociality or do you think that there is a socialization but it's a particularly terrible one on the internet, on the, the hyper world. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I pulled up the line that you referenced. I'll just read the excerpt. Yeah. Uh, if Freud was correct in identifying a dimension of the psyche, which socializes the libido into conformity, his reality principle of the ego, then we can correctly identify the virtual principle as a Girardian double within the hyper world. However, the virtual principle does not socialize the individual. Or it may be more correct to say that it socializes the individual within a space which valorizes the id and the pleasure principle. So mm-hmm. it is a kind of socialization. And I don't want to get there's there's I was having this thought earlier. You can run into circles. Uh, well, what's sociality then? Because there is like a constructivist way. Right, well, it's, right. it's sociality for this community and it might not be your sociality, so on and so forth. But exactly, you have to yes, yes. you have to establish a line. I'm not a total to the death, like postmodernist, where I'll just deconstruct everything. Uh, in my view, and the, the the subsequent essay, I make this argument. I, I think the the good and the social are in the category of tautological things. I don't actually right. need to tell you, Geo, what's good, right? Because right, right, you right. and I, I think there's probably a shared agreement. And if I have to tell you what's good, then there's a high chance you're my enemy uh, or an outsider, and then other factors. I take think precedent. that. Yeah, like even the platiga, like warranted true belief or warranted true morality or warranted true consensus on what we know is the real or what we know is the good. I think like there is a basis there, but I do think that there is um, there is a contextual and constructed nature to it. But I do think that on bigger things, I mean, I was saying this to uh, to Nama Cates today, who is the um, she runs the Incel Project podcast and. Uh, Shout out to her. I might be on that podcast. She might come on a content mind recently. Um, but I was talking about, you know, it is true that the sort of inanity of the culture war takes, especially on 
the one particular issue today that's very important. Um, but it is one of like I think the true things that unite people in either their complete and total support in the political left or their complete and total rejection on the political right. Of course, I mean, there is exceptions. There is quite a number of like white Nats who um, are fine with are mm-hmm. fine with a certain uh, procedure for a variety of reasons, which I think um, if I were to explicate on YouTube, I would get banned. But um, yeah, I mean, and I have my disagreements with those people, but I mean, I know you have a more nuanced issue on, well, maybe like in the pay- paywall portion, we'll talk about yeah, that. Yeah, let's do it for that. Yeah, yeah. But, but to um, rewind. Actually, no, a... actually, no, because I want to bring you on to talk about the good and evil thing. I think maybe we'll do it, it there. Yeah, we'll save it. because Probably more appropriate. Yeah, because I think we can get a pretty good like three, four hours out of this essay alone so but yeah so go ahead i interrupted you um about the sociality thing yeah yeah so like rewinding to the main thesis ethos and the internet okay well what's the ethos of the people who created this and i say a few things about that but broadly and i i'm pretty sure you'll appreciate this because i know you said here that you studied him and i've seen you tweet about this other guy well what what's the the character of of the internet if we're just choosing that i mean i did choose that as the kind of gold star example of the hyper world well there are Foucauldian notions of of like the self-entrepreneur and their uh hanian notions of achievement beyond chulhan right uh, yes yes and, yes and and i think that's so when we're talking about what's what is like the, the what's the dimension of socializing that's happening on the internet well it's happening in the framework of this this is where i i, I jump off the foucault deleuze han train a little bit because i don't really think of Everyone doubts Foucault's history. That put that oh, aside. But Foucault like, doubts we, Foucault's history, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> do, do we yeah. really go discreetly from sovereign to uh, societies of control to the society of the achievement or discipline sovereign disciplinary control achievement societies? Uh, maybe, maybe not. Then are to the psychopolitical, kind of, yeah. Yeah. Are they scaffolded on top of one another so that you never lose like in the Maybe it's a Hegelian idea. I know it through Ken Wilber. Like, are they mm-hmm, just kind of mm-hmm. like grandfathered in subsequently when the next uh, innovation happens? Will you still keep the sovereign power and the discipline? I yeah. think that's closer there, to what happens. Byung-Chul Han says explicitly that the scaffold always has different rungs and that the, actually there are elements that retain um, the structure. I And even like in terms of geopolitically, I think that there are elements of the older way of doing things within different sides in the world. Um, that one particular Eastern European power who happens to be winning by the way. And the reason they are winning is because they have a much older model yeah. of industrialism and the capacity for the nationalization of the economy than the West does where um, the American military, which is supposedly the greatest military in the world has to rely on Raytheon and other corporations to basically uh, supply them vital instruments of warfare which i think is frankly ridiculous and uh if america was at all serious but i'm sorry i'm 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 just immersed in that discourse right now because it's ongoing but let me just say that even like the great i would say the greatest Foucauldian in our lifetime which is of course um giorgio agamben um fellow italian of course he's a poland tone though i'm a swarthy southernoid um but anyway, okay, me too. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but the Greek side, though, the Greek side of Calabria. So I pro- I'm probably a Greekoid. Um, uh, no, he even he would say that 
The problem with Michel Foucault is that I think he was caught up within a certain moment in French academia that he had to reify those distinctions. Yeah. Because, of course, in Homo Saker, he says that, well, no, actually, these distinctions, they were as old as time itself. They were as yeah. old as Roman juridical law. Yeah. They were certainly as old as the Greeks in terms of, you know, in my essay I wrote that, you know, put me on the map on the internet, um, Beholding New Pale Horse. I talk a little bit about how even when... Um, Hork Dorno, uh, you know, Horkheimer Dorno talked about um, the myth of uh, the Cyclops and Odysseus, how Odysseus blinded the Cyclops and said, you know, who's your name? He's like, I'm nobody, I'm nobody. And he's like, then the Cyclops goes back to the the Titans. He's like, and he's like, who did this to you? He's like, nobody did this to me. Like, the, knowing that he had to sort of hack um, the law of the, mytholo the mythology of the society, because, of course, when you declared your name to a Titan... They had to repeat it, right? Like there was some kind of background there. So the point being is that instrumental reason, yeah, the the relation between mythos and instrumental reason is much older. The way in which biopower and sovereign power is much older, according to Agamben. But of course, Michel Foucault, especially at this time in the seventies, you know, post sixty eight, which is like the you know romantic uh, you know thing in the French the French New Left. Uh, I think he had to reify those distinctions in order to make um, a convincing argument. Of course, everyone doubts his, I mean, even Foucault himself later on doubted, like, well, similar to Nietzsche, doubted his own historiography, right? I mean, nobody takes his, nobody, I think, takes Foucault as a serious historian or yeah. historiographer. I think that it's, that's a long tangent, but I think it's besides the point. But in term, but what what did you find specifically in the entrepreneurial aspect? Like you referring to his his one essay on um, Kant and maturity, or what do you mean by the entrepreneurial? Uh, well, I mean I've read a few of Foucault's writings. I, not time I really enjoyed, to be perfectly honest with you. But mm. the lecture on bio, the birth of bio, the birth of biopolitics, yes. So just I mean just just in a very layman way of putting it, you know the the the, the emphasis on self-constructedness and 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 like self-enfranchisement yes 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 and and then when you fold in the smart power hanian idea of the achievement society i mean it's what what is being magnified the hyper real dimension is you know you're just getting this super intensifying of like basically fundamental enlightenment uh dictates uh that the, the the ideas that that were in the constitution that animated the right. new aristocracy of america uh that's been intensified and uh in the same way that the 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 prophets of the internet pre-21st century pre-millennial couldn't see what like an actual developing uh um cohort would how they would adapt to this and act on it. A digital polis, uh, let's say, a digital polis. Yeah, obviously Thomas Jefferson and whoever never would have expected that, uh, you know, your right to life, liberty, dignity uh, meant that you could put on a fursuit or mute your secondary sex organs. Like nobody could have foresaw those things. And, and the, 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 the hyper world intensifies all of those unconscious presumptions uh, and you get what ultimately is antisocial. So we, right. I mean, we can hem and haul like what is sociality, but on a super macro level, 
the type of so uh, the type of subjectivity, which is I guess part of the second essay, that is developed is just social acid to the to the infrastructures that built it. So it's on on a very macro level. Sorry, it's antisocial because it's literally destroying the social order, uh, even if it's good for those people. Um, they are nonetheless contained with. You have to treat them as like a a, a, a discrete unit that somehow is not really subject to conventional law and social norms and things like that. But, but also so, the creation of subjectivity as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, so we want to rewind this really far back. Right. I mean, neoliberal, whatever word we want to call it, GAE, neoliberalism, capitalism, blah, blah, decadence, blah, blah, blah. The, the great daddy of us all uh, produces a type of person. <clears throat> right exactly and to the point yeah. of what we were talking about you you mentioned earlier not to steal potential future content but for people who are concerned that uh this overturn this decision will uh be a kind of demographic ethno- bomb put it that way yeah i mean on look you we're many generations into the construction of a subjectivity under these in your words satanic uh, in maybe someone else's words, neoliberal. In someone else's words, implying uh, there's a difference. Yeah, yeah uh, right. The Z, right. Word, I mean, the Z word, which yeah, yeah. We're I, talking about the same thing fundamentally. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, but so like, okay. So, does that mean you'll have a, a net of thirty thousand more of these people? I mean, part of the problem with that is just like the very static way in which everything that every trend that's currently in motion will just be suspended. Because this one variable that we actually have our the, the societal lighthouse spotlight on, that's changed. And so right. now somehow else, everything else will be the same. But digression aside, it is constructing its own subjectivity. And, and, right. and just Very the right. fact of, of multiple competing uh, narratives, dictates, narratives yeah. Yeah. is antisocial. So, I mean, however you want to split the way we're defining that word the end result of this, of an unharmonized life world and hyper world of a life world that is based on unconscious axioms that are deleterious, you're going to keep perpetuating this over and over and over again. I mean, you mentioned Terrence McKenna before I had a very extended turn, like the psychedelic salon. Oh, we all did. We all did, bro. 2012. (laughs) Yeah. The the, the rebirth of the new age movement in the internet. Like there was one. Okay. There was, the original rebirth of the new age movement in the 1990s, closing the 1990s and the internet, the early Usenet days, Terrence McKenna was a part of that. I, my theory is that in the 2012, 2011, like Ron Paul, Bernie Sanders day, there was also a mini rebirth of, and I was very much a part of like a lot of those like new age psychedelic Facebook groups. And, uh, but a lot of those people, became totally insufferable after, but like, uh, oh, then a few of them did migrate to our spaces, but very few of them. Um, but anyway, so yeah, about Terrence McKenna would have, would have, so like, yeah, like when I'm part of like all this extended writing project, right. you know, maybe to me, the dirty secret is like, well, how much am I just, am I, am I doing a kind of reactionary? Like if we went back to certain original liberal dictates, or if we went back to certain American utopic, yeah uh, visions yeah. could we somehow rejigger and and who knows but, but to, culture to, to, is not your friend like that's yeah, yeah to contextualize like 
I mean, what he talked about, and I still love that phrase, the archaic revival, mm. uh, is like, I mean, that dream is achievable. You just have to not be a libtard. And unfortunately, like he's- He, he was, was a libtard. libtard. He was- <laughs> He's a CIA libtard. He's, he's, he was like one of these wacko two thirds of the male population, feminist CIA libtard. Yeah, like that. He, he also like, yeah, his ideas of polyamory and going back to the original sort of uh, Pareto patriarchal idea, like, like I would say Pareto- matriarchal like let's face it terrence mckenna believed in the longhouse put it that way mm-hmm. he was a bapian term he was like a he was like a, an aficionado of the longhouse ideal of uh intra male female sexual relations and uh he, another thing too like the human extinction thing is also another like sus idea i mean that there's many criticism of terrence mckenna i can get into but like and the fact that like i mean i know like some people maybe make a, a bit too much out of it. Like I know Yan Irvin has done a lot of this research, but mm. it is true. I mean, the links between Terrence McKenna and the, uh, the glow in the darks. I mean, it's, I hate to They're say it, it was there. there. It was there. They're always there. The whole psychedelic <laughs> he, he lectured is, is Eastland, put it that way. So he lectured, like, yeah. 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 But, um, gosh, what was I going to say? Uh, about, yeah, about, um, Terrence was a non sex haver. I think that's where we can maybe come, to the decision that he was not a sex haver. Well, he said he got that. laid in college, though, at Berkeley. But uh, Might have been once. <laughs> he was like me. He was you know, only one time. You know what's funny is that I probably, not to toot my own horn, but my previous podcast I was on, um, I had, mm-hmm. well, follow the rules. I had um one of the most interesting Dennis McKenna interviews because of me in particular. Oh, you I, had him on your show. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And I asked him questions that he even said at the end. He's like, I've never been asked these questions before. It was, oh my God. Like I asked him about Alex Jones. I asked him about Berkeley. <laughs> like, <laughs> but, um, no, How yeah. Did you get him? Lev got him. Lev got him. Uh, he knew him from the, what's it called? The, um, society, uh, the national arts club in New York. That's how he knew him. So gotcha. yeah. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was great. It was great. Like I wanted to like sort of freak him out a little bit. I didn't want to ask him the standard like yeah. hero worship, like, what was it like at La Chirera with Terrence? It, it, it very much reminds me of, like, the two people, um, the these two, like, college leftoids that had Noam Chomsky on. You remember that interview? Like, mm-hmm. uh, what, what do you think of, like, what do you think of Jordan Peterson? And it's like... It's... Like, Noam Chomsky, like, totally receded into his chair looking half alive. <laughs> well, I think he's as right-wing as Attila the Hun. That's why he's... <laughs> universities are actually uh, right wing actually believe it or not oh yeah so, yeah um no but yeah I, I mean that that is sort of like um having had bigger uh, interacted with quote unquote bigger people it's i don't know it really doesn't maybe i have a form of neurodivergence but i mean there is something to it but then there isn't like i think the content that is worthy just as an aside that to me gets my jitters up rather than something that is you know oh i have a I have a big guest on like that's because sometimes yeah. those streams don't work very well. Sometimes, you know, but, um, cause when you get to a certain point, you play the greatest hits, which I like mm-hmm. even discussing this stream, I didn't want to play the greatest hits to talk about. Like maybe we'll get a little bit into American extremists and how you feel like you have to move on, not move on, but like to sort of elaborate on American extremists a little bit. But like, I know that you've done a pretty extensive podcast tour of the book yeah so but anyways yeah the archaic revival this is a long aside as uh, in a stream of many long asides um yeah so i think that you mentioned t- i was actually surprised you mentioned archaic revival and how um 
well, I don't want to get into the total man just yet, but what do you mean by in terms of the relation of the hyper world and what people like Terrence McKenna were talking about with even like that Douglas Ruskov book, Cy- Cyberdelia, like that yeah. type of idea, right? Yeah. Just uh, to put a bow on it. Um, I think, I guess the easy like one oh one comment to make would be we're very technologically innovative, but we're very morally regressed. And you can trace that to turn of the century stuff that mm-hmm. people like Terrence McKenna were not the progenitors of, but were like the the dying embers of that thing. Uh mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I use Ken Wilber's idea of the pre-trans fallacy. It's like that's that's total pre-trans fallacy just left right and center like we have to that, that there's an overvalorizing of like these pre-modern pre-industrialized egalitarian supposedly originary matriarchal society that if we can return to because yeah. violence is bad because it, it's just it's just super libtardism like for all of their yeah noble savage insights. pre pre-trans foul like noble savage um primitive communism like that yeah. yeah, it's super libtard. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry, I cut you off. Yeah, and so um, the, I think I lost my train of thought. Oh, so the pre-trans fallacy. Yeah, right. So like that that overvaluing of the intuitive, irrational. Frankly, it's it's all mired in the decolonial, anti-imperialist, frankly anti-white, anti-male, anti-Christian, anti-West stuff. Right. To put as many identifiers on it as possible. Um, it's, it's what I would say in the third essay is this, this political program of self-disgust. I mean, that's, that's kind of, I think all right. of this is down, right. downstream from a, a, a methodology of evil, which operates by turning the, the, the mind against itself effectively. And then once you, you can do that on a mass scale, you've got a, a self, an imploding society. You have a society where anti-natalism is a, yes. is a, is a, is, is like a, you get, a quirky, you get a quirky headline like, well, your granddad probably wasn't an antinatalist, but here's why you should be. Um, and, and everything like the the all the pride stuff. I mean, I am celebrating pride right now, but all like all of these, <laughs> all of the things that, that people freaking out on Twitter today are freaking out about. It's like, I mean, this is just uh, in all of the cynicism towards reason and rationality. Uh, at, at the same time, like our over-reliance on that particular type of reason, we've lost the forest for the trees. We've lost ourselves. I mean, I, I do take a, a theological perspective and that it's a move away from the good and righteous God and towards something else. I don't like using the word secular. I, I A phrase that I've toyed with in these essays is like different spiritual regimes Yes, it's neo-religiosity the, is the word I use. Right? Yeah, yeah, I'm. I'm. A, I've, I'll just be honest. You know, the Bible didn't do it for me, but uh, the Gre- Greco-Roman mythology, Egyptian mythology, as a, as a kid, did. Like 25 years later, 30 years later, that stuff means more to me than the New Testament ever did. Uh, and so I do have a kind of. But but native... why? Well, yeah. Actually, I'm not going to ask you why because I think the next stream we do, we're going to talk about Christianity. But like. Um, do, so you think, I mean, even Terrence, like as the communists say primitive communism, as the Rousseauian libtards say, like, you know, um, the noble savage ideal, which by the way, is like a pretty frequent political theme 
as you know terrence mckenna called it the dominator ego and that it's yeah. particularly to the white male um europeanoid Fa- like if you replace faustian's like if you replace dominator ego with faustian spirit i think terrence mckenna was essentially talking about faustian spirit but in the negative sense whereas mm-hmm. not in like the affirmative spanglerian um con- like you know explicitly indo-european notion of it um but i think that it's very interesting how nowadays a lot of these political divides i mean i'm very sympathetic to like the Dionysian and the irrational and the mystical but at the same time i do realize that you know, especially as a christian like there is a supreme reason that is granted to us but at the same time i mean there has to be a harmony between the two because when you do devolve into mysticism there's unfortunately a negative side that pulls towards its opposite their poorest pulls towards what the proudly list would call the counter-initiatory aspect of it, which is the sort of, you're so mystically minded that you end up playing with ideas like mm-hmm. libtarded antinatalism because it's like an open, free, an open free experience. And it's like, it's, it's hard to describe. It's hard to put your finger on, but I feel that there is sort of like a pop nihilism and a pop antinatalism mm-hmm. going on that usually comes from a very hedonic, um, it's hidden it's hedonic but it's mixed in with the sort of neo-religious moralization of the place of european and western civilization in particular which is the climate change thing and uh you know i can't have kids because it's it's either racist and evil or it's uh it's destroying the planet because i'm yeah. in the west and i that- go on tiktok or whatever yeah that mysticism i mean again it's a point i make in passing uh, I'm probably I'm definitely not uh, the person to expound on this too much more. But I mean, I, I look at the emerging like New Age mysticism of the 20th century as in I mean, being fundamentally political, but being yes. intra-racially and interracially a political phenomenon. I think it's, you know, for example, you have. I think I can use these words because I'm, I'm not doing this in a derogatory way, but you had the British migration to America, which was obviously under duress from treatment in Russia, treatment in Germany, treatment in Poland and Central Europe. Even treatment in Italy, I hate to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, everywhere that they are, frankly. But I mean, the types that came over, Central European, yeah. Far East, whatever. And then they're dealing with, frankly, uh, barely below the threshold Anglo uh, Semito skepticism or whatever. And, and they're coming in and, and they also have the intra racial thing of, of not wanting to be associated with the poor shtetl. And uh, there was like the von Brandenburg book that BAP covered about this, how they sort of uh, looked down upon the reminders of their, and it's funny because certain Italians, the certain Wonderbreds did this where this sort of like, European largely old world immigrants come here and they look down upon those people that remind them of their old world ancestry. That, mm-hmm. And that's also a theory why von Brandenburg, you could extrapolate that to say why um, certain people actually didn't of that ethnicity actually didn't like Bernie Sanders because Bernie reminded them too much mm. of their, the Shettle personality. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, so there's that, like they're trying to differentiate from this like failed social order uh, and they're rebelling against their frankly oppressive religious dictates. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And you get, but it's also antagonistic to the majoritarian wasp 
pseudo-majoritarian Catholicism, just general non-Jewish white European. Yeah, Catholicism is very interesting in American history. Like that, it is a pseudo-majoritarian thing. It's not part of the fabric of America, but then it later becomes a very huge undercurrent in America. Mm -hmm. But there's always the debate whether Catholicism proper can be like totally integrated into not just American life, but integrating to like, I would say the sort of supra metaphysical um, fabric of what Americana actually is. I mean, certainly just by the sheer volume of us swarthy Catholics coming to America. I mean, we inevitably, inf- you know, influence the, the sonic waves of America, but in terms mm-hmm. of like, as the, the politics and the like foundation of America, that's all highly contested. Right. And people and people on the political right that want to make some sort of like either integralist thing or, um, that other group of zoomers uh like mm-hmm. it's debatable what like as a catholic myself it is debatable whether you can even create a catholicized version of what americana is but that's an aside that's an aside i mean that's yeah, yeah well yeah. i mean it you could i mean this is i think a, a tongue-in-cheek comment to make and people are making it we're having a Catholic moment now. I've never heard mm. more people than in the last two years highlight how many of the Supreme Court justices are Catholics yeah. uh, or that Joe Biden's Catholicism as if those are fundamental. But I think, I mean, again, yeah. I think as Catholicism majoritarian in the sense that it's the second, third wave of white European uh, entries into America, it, it Protestantism has, I think, fundamentally been dead for a very long time catholicism mm-hmm. stepped into that position ever yeah. so slightly and you were roughly the same age our childhood or certainly our adolescence was marked by very strong uh anti-catholic sentiment i i don't want that to be misinterpreted there's a lot of bad things that were happening still are happening and it was yeah justified. exactly there is but it was also you. used in a political way to yes beat the catholicism well, the, the meta picture of christianity that most people have is catholic Mm-hmm. I mean, even here in Canada, um, not to mention it too much because of YouTube, but like the church burnings happened large. I mean, there was a huge section of residential, residential schools that were run by Catholics, but a lot of that was administered to the Anglo, uh, Anglophone Canadian, um, uh, Anglican church and Pentecostal in other words, and other churches that were more aligned with the founding loyalist Mm -hmm. um stock of canada at least in the anglophone portion in quebec of course the catholic church does have more responsibility but in terms of the overall picture why do you think that i i truly believe that why mostly catholic and orthodox churches were burned is because catholic becomes the meta picture of what Mm christian it's the media depiction of what christianity is it's like the the movie The Exorcist, they call a Catholic priest because the Catholic mm-hmm. priest is like the exorcism priest, even though there are other denominations that perform exorcisms. The Catholic Church is like the, like, if you want to say Christian, like to most like secular normies, when, when you say the word Christian, they probably just mean a Catholic cathedral mm-hmm. or church. That's probably what yeah. it is. Yeah. 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 Um, so on the one hand, this emerging... Unless you live in the decision. South, that's different, but like that... Yeah. Right. But I'm a I'm a filthy carpet bagging Yankee, so that I can't I can't comment on that. But like this emerging mysticism has that new world intraracial aspect, but it also has the political dimension of killing off the remnants of the Christian social order, the Christian cosmology. 
Um, I'm not a Christian, but I mean, I'm also not in the business of taking people's religion away from them uh, because that's not a thing I can replace. And I think people most nine times out of 10 are better taking seriously what they inherited than going off on their own. Yeah. That's itself like kind of a symptom or a consequence of what we were discussing earlier with the, this reifying of, of the, of the individual, the self, uh, both in a, a, like a Christopher Lash way, but in a, a more, you know, common use of the word. Way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, but that, and that mysticism comes in and it, it derails, it, it, it clears the space for, for total instrumental reason. I mean, I think that's oh, what yeah. it does. I think it eliminates all other, it forecloses all other expressions of rationality uh, and then just uh, allows for colonizing by neoliberal instrumental reason. And, and that's, that instrumental reason is the governing force behind the hyper world, I think, right. because that's, yes. that was the, that was the mode of psyche at the inception of, of these things. Uh, and it's only been a really, it's been a very short period of time. We've not broken from that. And so you get all of these wacky subcultures and trends and deviant antisocial self-harming things. But they're uh, all united that. by that neoliberal undercurrent of like, we express ourselves, but this is the way of actually doing things. Kind of like science is like the only epistemological um, method of knowing like that's It's like, we can have our wacky and crazy subculture in our, uh, like sort of like, I guess you would say in the academic term are like own little queer cultures um, in the academic sense of the word. Um, but, you know, apart from that, the sort of homo economicism of the neoliberal order. And of course the scientism of the neoliberal order, that's like, that's guaranteed for now mm -hmm. anyways, but like, and then the way that we extrapolate economism to this decentralized corporate model, as opposed to nations like, China and like Russia who have a nationalist uh a nation state um autocratic model of their economy. Uh there's a lot of problems with when they potentially interact in the future and we're we're seeing this now in Eastern Europe but like I think that by and large people believe that the sort of issues of economy, issues of human relation and issues of human development have been quote unquote solved since the late 90s onwards. And, but that's obviously not the case as you're saying, right? Well, it's, I mean, so their, their solution, and I say this at the end of, of the book, the original book, their solution is liquidating humanity, yeah. right? Yep. It, the, the, the problem was solved because they found the problem. The problem yeah. is us. Uh, and we need to be, we need to, to be liquidated, which is such a nifty academic word. Uh, I love using liquidated because it's yeah. like, I, I know exactly what you mean. Everyone knows exactly what you mean. Yeah. Um, but it's an uh, old Soviet term as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love it. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and they're clearing space for the new subject, which will be this androgynous, not meaningfully differentiated. Like if I wear a blue shirt and you wear a red shirt, that's not really as meaningful as you're a Confucianist and I'm a Orthodox, you know, Greek Orthodox, whatever. Um, so you lose all meaningful difference. It's replaced with effectively, and I don't like overemphasizing the economic aspect, but it's not just a consumerist difference, right. but it's also a kind of a, it has something to do with, with 
effectively biopower, biocontrol. Yes, yes. Uh, compliance, I think, increasingly is 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 a word I like to describe what what the the world wants from us. Is it mm-hmm. wants compliance, uh, and all all this like the stuff that that uh, conspiracy people get worked up about, which isn't to say they're wrong. But like I, you know, subcutaneous uh, track chips and things like that. I, it's ID it's a concretization of the liquidation that we're experiencing. I feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, as much as I love them, I think Alex Jones is a modern prophet of our day. But like, that's he's an Austrian, he's a fool, uh, Loki uh, trickster god of our day. But mm-hmm. um, it is true. I think that they have a a, a sort of a a schizoaffective mapping, a schizocultural mapping that is concretized the way that what Artie Lang would say a schizophrenic not to say that all conspiracy theories are schizos I mean that they have a sort of schizoaffective the way in which the schizophrenic would concretize their existence by saying things like I am made of glass I am made of steel I am made of this that is fragile um the Artie Lang talks about this and I think like as an aside what I wanted to get to is you discovered an observation that I myself had of course but I, I went at it through um, a Heideggerian and a Artie Lang approach, right? The comedian Artie Lang? No, no, no. The the this the critical psychologist oh. Artie, not the comedian Artie Lang. God no, God. <laughs> the whole time, like, wow, I didn't know that guy was so smart. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Um, the book, The Divided Self. Um, gotcha. How a lot of modern political projects. I mean, I know we can haggle over if it's you know secularized Gnosticism. I know Keith Woods had a video recently. Um, against that theory but i think that and you know people like james Lindsay are now making uh the works yes. of eric vogelin cringe uh, <laughs> um i think that there is a and, and you said this as well i had a stream on this um if you look at the laid back saturday it's called ontologically based uh mm-hmm. where i said like i'm combining like Artie lang with heidegger and that the the approach to the other the grand other the theory in the divided self is that the other gives you your sense of subjectivity, but the other can mm-hmm. easily take it away. But now that we have this sort of atomized notion of you are your own self-creator, you take the imagio of your own creation. It's like a perversion of that Nietzschean spirit saying that now you dictate through various political apparatuses and through various discourses of biopolitical control and power knowledge with certain issues, which I shall not name, again, for YouTube reasons, uh, the T issue, uh, mm-hmm. you dictate to the other the creation of your subjectivity and the other now becomes a epistemic mirror and an ontological mirror for your own sense of creation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that is what's driving most modern politics, at least in terms of identity issues. And I think that people are starting to realize that to take your theory of the hyper world or hyper reality, um, I think that the hyper world initially was a way of facilitating that, right? No, no, Quick don't worry about it. Yeah. Oh, we're good. We're good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I think the hyper real, the hyper world is like initially thought of the way of facilitating that. There was this great essay that was written um, in 2004 called "The Digital Body," and uh, how a lot of like art world people, like post internet art, and a lot of people in science and research, and a lot of people that you know mold the two how they talk about the new digital awakening of the human being subject to the same forces that we find ourselves in the online and how the body itself would be perceived in different ways through either the what you know ray brazier calls the editing of the wetware 
which is the mm -hmm. physical editing or the editing of this sort of like digital supersonic, I would even say material metaphysical plane, which we know as the world of the internet or what you call mm -hmm. the hyper world. I think that even the notion of subjectivity in the hyper world, like when you were talking about how the reversal of the Freudian reality principle, how it's a counter reality principle in the sense that it no longer tends towards what we classically know as normalization and like, you know, controlling the id. Now it's almost the opposite. It's like provoking this id, id like libidinal space where now we're so transgressive. We're so after the orgy that, um, we're totally like the id becomes everything. The id even changes the, the organism, what Fred would call the organism itself, which is our own human subjectivity, right? Like that's, it's like so transgressive, it ends up transgressing into nothingness, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> wow, that was a mouthful, but like, sorry. I mean, I just, I really loved your piece in firstness. I feel like you and Marcus hit the ball out of the park in that. Was Thank it issue you. four? Yeah, issue yeah, three, three. three. Issue three, issue three, yeah, yeah. And uh, I think that there was other bangers too from other people, but um, sorry, I mean, just comment on what, what I said, if that makes any sense, or I'm just talking gibberish, right? No, no, it's specifically yeah. the very last thing you said uh, before complimenting me, which by the way, thank you, uh, <laughs> is that the, the tr transgression loses its value, right? right and right. and the, the id, again, I'm the older I get, the, the more leery I am towards using these highfalutin psychiatric psychoanalytic terms but I use them. So I'll, I'll, I'll be beholden to it. Mm. Uh, it, it like burns the it out. Uh, yes. and you can, again, it's like, again, it's very honey in, in that the burnout society where it's, it's yeah. corrosive yeah. to the very things, to the very, you know, meta psychological structures that it relies on to, 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 to ascend, uh, to that dominant space. Um, and so the, and there, there in fact, isn't transgression anymore. Um, the, it only becomes humiliation. I think that fu mm -hmm. fundamentally the transgression, it, it becomes nothingness in terms of the person uh, transgressing as an individual against some code in pursuit of something. Uh, and then when, when that transgression is directed outwards, it just becomes humiliation. And every Twitter post, uh, every headline, <laughs> every T-shirt of a really super out there left-wing person uh, is power speaking down to you and ergo it's not transgressive anymore because right, I mean right. that's like the whole thing about punching up is like you can only be transgressive if you're speaking truth to power if you're attacking entrenched institutions whatever the case is but if you are um, a well-to-do middle class upper middle class effectively bourgeois urbanite and and you walk outside of your expensive Upper West Side apartment to spit on the homeless person in front of you. Yeah, that's not transgression. That's 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 degradation. That's humiliation. That's the the death of human dignity. All those kinds of things. Yes, and that's yes, yes. that's very much fostered by. That's the pitiless um, society, is really what we call it. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's what the hyper world, as it's currently constituted, uh, achieves, and it doesn't have to be that way but you would need to change the guiding ethos within the life world. And we, I, I don't want to make too much of, of the events of the last year, but uh, I guess what people are calling the vibe shift, yeah. um, there is something happening, whether yes. all of these developments 
uh, are going to necessarily produce good outcomes, probably too optimistic, certainly too early to say one way or the other. But right. the, 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 I mean, this fundamental, I don't want to be too edgelordy. I mean, this is fundamentally some of my big issues with Christianity, just like on a textual basis, like just reading the words themselves. Like, I don't know what else I'm supposed to get from this, but, but like, it's the, it's the war of the created against the creation. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, all of the things that we worry about, this is the, the, the main upshot of the essay, everything that we're, we're, we, when we were younger, it was video games, Marilyn Manson, uh, yeah. parental advisory labels on your compact disc. Um, I mean, that's, and this was, this freaked me out as a kid. You probably remember this too. The, the first single off of the mechan, is it the mechanical animals album? Uh, whichever one he had the tits, he was in the, I think, the I think it was, um, was that the one where Antichrist Superstar came from? Um, I love the drug. I don't love the drugs. Drugs love me. Something it like that. It may have been mechanical. Yeah. It may have been that album. Yes. So I, I'm like, however old that was like 98. So I was probably, I was really young, man. I'm, I'm going to turn 30 in December, but like, <laughs> yeah, oh, I'm yeah. the old man here. Yeah, I know. Right. Even though I usually feel like an old man now, but like, compared to zoomers but like yeah you're would you think you're you're gen x pr proper or would you say you're older millennial I think i'm 86 so i'm an elder millennial elder millennial yes yeah uh but like so marilyn manson doing the proto trans teen in and he's in a surgical room and there's you know as much as I remember and i'm like 10 years old or eight years old or whatever and i'm watching i'm like this is legitimately horrifying. Mm. But if you're if you're Nancy Reagan or Tipper Gore and you're wagging your finger at Marilyn Manson, uh, it's like, uh, look in the mirror, dude. <laughs> like, like I'm sorry mm. that that you, you're unhappy. I was not happy as a, as a preteen to see that. My parents weren't happy for no. me to, to to know that I was seeing that. Most people probably weren't. Um, but you have to look at where it came from. The music industry itself is kind of foundationally exploitative and uh and, and i make in subsequent essays just this general argument that the foundation of america is exploitation maybe even the foundation of faustianism is exploitative and until that's purged all of our creation is going to have this stain of evil which creates these rivalries people trying to escape from one thing to the other trying to use one to destroy yeah. the other infiltrate the other um and and you have this you have this just continual rivalry i think i think that when it comes to the faustian spirit there is an element of penetration into these other civilizations there's an element of conquering there's an element of the sort of the beauty of creation can be horrible in a lot of ways mm -hmm. in the back end at least I was talking one time, um, he probably listens to this. Uh, when I was in university on my undergrad, there was uh, this guy, he was a Landian, and he was reading um, Thirst for Annihilation, which is a great book. I really, I think, even over the Dark Enlightenment, I mean, that's an important Nick Land book. But I remember we were talking about these issues, and, uh, you know, I, I have my reservations about this way of thinking, right? Like, I'm not totally, like, 100%, like, yeah, you know, the Western man conquering people. Like that's, mm -hmm. there's, there was a lot of unforeseen consequences, but I do, I don't moralize that at the same time as like, mm -hmm. oh, that's bad, man. Like, cause that's yeah. the wheel of history. Like, I mean, every people conquered everybody, right? Like it's just that happened that 
the European spirit had sort of a sort of um, how can I say this without getting canceled? It had like a <laughs> uniqueness to it that I feel um, chained off of the development of other civilizations as well. I think the problem with a lot of like white nat thinking is that there is true like there like even like when I was talking to Peter Nemitz like we talked about how other civilizations it ultimately influenced the creation of Europe. But that mm-hmm. being said, there is something unique to the union of different strains, at least three major strains of the European psyche and spirit that created its uniqueness, whether it was the Nordic, the Mediterranean, Greco-Roman, or the Slavic. I mean, the three of them have a very complicated history of interacting on their own. Yeah. And the precise date of the creation of European civilization is also contested. Like, again, for those of you who don't know, just go to my Peter Nevitz interview. Content Minded episode six? Episode six. Wait, episode five? Something like that. Just type up Peter Nemitz between Kinshasa and Rome. That was a great interview. I love Peter Nemitz, even though, you know, in the beginning we had a sort of rocky uh, relationship, uh, the sugar cookie thing. That was hilarious. But, uh, but uh, no, I mean, yeah, Peter Nemitz is a great dude. Um, Anyways, I, I, I think that, you know, we were talking, me and this Landian, and he's like, you know, the thing is, is that to concern yourself with the sort of subalterns of the world, he's like, you know, we have we don't have time for that when it comes to creating beautiful and unique things. And a part of me was disgusted. Right. But another part of me was like, as an artist, I'm like, uh, I don't know, maybe I guess that's there's something to, I think, the beauty, but also the horror of certain elements of the Faustian spirit or certain elements of other very prominent step cultures that are not necessarily European, whether it's the Japanese, whether mm-hmm. it's the certain element within India, whether it's the step people in Mongolia, like whether it's um, even certain empires of the Bantu, um, even certain elements of the global South, there is something about the conqueror spirit. But I do think that the European variety of Faustian man is unique but there is something that is the contention with those negative elements that if you were to divorce them or if you were to create a moralistic guilt complex over them I think is sort of missing the point and I think maybe that's what you were aiming at in your essay I mean it could be yeah the subsequent development is that it's not missing the point it's a it's a intent it's an imperative from a rival uh polis polis political entity uh so i mean like if you the 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 safe way to say it would be yeah it's emergent phenomena it's just it's you know okay this is you know it was a mistake it was misguided but uh i think it's you know very intentional and directed and that's pretty much all wrapped in a bow in that third essay so we'll just just to tease that a little bit further for for your viewers uh i definitely it's not just missing the point uh, certainly for like your average lunkhead, your, 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 uh, propaganda believer, um, this missing the point, but, yeah. but for the people who are directing it, it's like more of this, please. This is exactly what we need. Um, but do you uh, think that it, spirit is gone though? Like, or do you think that it's just being utilized for evil purposes by our rulers currently? The Faustian spirit? Yeah. Um, well, that guy who crashed that plane a couple of years, that Sky King, yeah, yeah, Rich Russell. That, that, that's yeah. pretty Faustian. Yeah. Uh, this is where things get weird because I don't want to do the move of like 
the Silicon Valley uh, non-binary person is a Nietzschean. I don't want to say that. The more buggy and wow, you know, they're beautiful, creative people, and they go to Burning Man, and they're and yeah. you know they're they're really or or like you know the I know Logo likes to talk about how the left are real Nietzscheans, but. Yeah, I don't. So I don't want. Yeah. I don't want to bastardize the, the concept of Faustianism and say that the uh, Wall Street broker who sells loans at a forty percent interest rate and then bangs <laughs> the BlackRock like, executive, yeah, high prostitutes and is like <laughs> yoked up on four different types of amphetamines. I don't want to say that that guy is doing Faustianism, uh, but it. Um, in fact, yeah, I don't even think you could say that the Faustianism is present in in the acts of the ruling class. I, I just, I'm ambivalent about the Faustian spirit, so to speak. But uh, uh, so put that aside. But I mean, it just seems to me more like conformity and decadence and cowardice than than Faustianism, because there is there isn't really any self overcoming. There isn't Mm. really any transcending. There's no new horizon or new limit. It's more of a plundering. Right. Um, It's more of, you know, the house is on fire. Quick, grab your grandma's antique jewelry. Let's get out of here. Even the internet's becoming colonized by. Yeah. 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 Well, so like the, the, what we were saying earlier, like the, the attempt to harmonize these two things is in effect, a neoliberal project of colonizing the hyperworld. Yeah, and that's yeah. the only way that that the, the the hegemony, if it's lacking in virtue, if it's not in pursuit of the good, uh, and that's a, con- a conversation in and of itself. Uh, it it's it's n- it's none of those things, and so it it can't. All it can do is to borrow some more Deleuzian language is deterritorialize, remake it in its image. Capital becomes virtual now. Yeah. Capital. Yeah. 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 So it's, it's its own distinct thing. Uh, but then what's going to happen when capital becomes virtual and corporations control the sustenance by which a civilization finds itself or even capable of defending itself? What happens when the Russian and the Chinese industrial base is willing to like, pump out an ungodly amount of, you know, howitzer shells, as opposed to like Raytheon that can't barely muster maybe 2000 stinger missiles a year. Like what's going to happen when the sort of the emphasis on smart smartness of all life and technology and efficiency maxing and the sort of um, emphasis on cultural subversion and like, you know, the colonization of the world through the Americanization of the world and how like that buttresses up against these rival civilizations that it's kind of like what Mersheimer said, where he's like, you know, these people in Russia and China and India, like they have a very 19th century way of doing geopolitics. We have a very 21st century way of doing geopolitics and, and industrialism and post-industrialism. What's going to like, and a lot of people at the beginning of the current um, intervention in the blue and yellow country, a lot of people were, you know, get, and I had this essay I was going to write for I'm 76, 76 I might still write it a lot of people had the hot take of like well this is a war between the real and the virtual mm-hmm. and the real is coming back baby and uh maybe it's true the real might be coming back but what's going to happen if there was in terms of the structure of the largely american based hyper world largely north american european based hyper world the language of the internet is very much coded within english and within mm-hmm. north american and maybe to a lesser extent british modes of 
thinking around culture and these various issues of subjectivity, what's going to happen when there's an outsider force that competes with that? Like the Chinese, for instance. What what do you predict? I know you had the stream on Joel's channel with Borzoi, and uh, it was a very amazing stream. I loved it. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Um, just like, what do you think would happen? Not to geo... Like, okay, geopolitics aside, because everyone's talking about geopolitics now. But let's say... <laughs> Let's just say in terms of the hyper world, like what would happen to our understanding of life in the hyper world if there was an external power that has a very 20th century real politique understanding of itself? Well, uh, see, yeah. this is way outside of my ability to answer. I will, I'm, mm -hmm. for, the, for the sake no of, problem, of no problem. We're, we're doing this, I won't whiff on it. I'll just give a short answer. I am skeptical that any of these anticipated rivals are truly outside of the system oh uh, i see china in particular uh i think yeah. russia to further put itself outside of the atlanticist powers is subjugating itself to china which mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. uh which was the beneficiary of uh north american deindustrialization. Yes. yes uh and from my very 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 limited understanding i mean there's not enough of a meaningful rupture between china and broadly you know london new york and tel aviv uh london new york tel aviv brussels yeah right uh so maybe ottawa I mean, but who gives a f about ottawa? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but what is interesting to see uh is specifically directed to your question is i mean tiktok is a chinese developed yeah. Yeah. platform so I think that's interesting. I think yeah. when platforms that may be something closer to what you're saying, where the rivals within the hyper world are foreign developed and it, it undermines because it's outside of the effectively Atlanticist kind of juridical order, right? The rules about how social media operates, the rules about censorship, the rules about maintaining a kind of cult nationwide dignity uh are are undermined right um right. And people look at china in the same conservatives look at china in the same way they look at israel in regards to statecraft mm -hmm. uh you know alienated boomer conservatives will say well why does israel get to do xyz but we can't uh i think people look at china and TikTok or uh whatever russia's equivalents are and they say well yeah okay well, what, or whatever yeah what you mostly hear is well, isn't it really bad? They're totalitarian. But then the whisper underneath that is, oh, why can't we do that? Why can so so boomers the, the, have a particular hatred of like the boomer con. They really hate China. And like, I'm not a China stan either. I think mean, my country is pretty much owned by China. But like, mm -hmm. I think that um, put it this way, I'm kind of like a bit more sympathetic to what Z, maybe not directly what Z Ping is doing. But I think that the Chinese, it's only natural that they find themselves in the position that they're in. They're thinking in terms of thousands of years, not not even dozens, you know, decades, more like centuries. And I feel that um, I'm not a China stan. I'm not like one of these weirdo China files on the political right. I think that's mm -hmm. kind of stupid, but like, I mean, not stupid, but like, I think that there are certain elements of, but uh, you know, like, it, it boggles the mind, really. I mean, the, the geopolitical situation, I think that I think that this sort of the totality of. And here's the thing, just to be clear, me, 
me and you are not like uh what's the buzz term is Lamoduganus or whatever. Like right. um yeah. I think <laughs> I wanted to actually talk to you a little bit later about the right wing third worldism thing, but sure. I, I think that um as much as like, you know, the meme of that I do feel that because of America's particular cultural domination throughout the world of the last few decades, I think that it's impossible to think in terms of like Americans themselves or even like Canadians or even like, you know, people in North America, it's impossible when you tell them that like, no, actually America is not in like the position it was in world war two where we're the land of plenty in North America. We still kind of are, but it's like they're bureaucratic, and political nonsense that prevents it from being that it's like, no, the fact that like, you know, America's depleting its military capacity to give to a foreign proxy state to fight a proxy war. And the fact that like, it takes these corporations years to replenish the stock just for American soldiers. And the fact that like, like when you tell people that for a brief period in the Iraq war, they ran out of small arms munitions, America's the land of guns. How how does the American military run out mm. of small arms? I mean, of course, it only took a few weeks to restock, but I'm you know the the point still stands is that I think people forget the real geopolitical, real politique um, elements of the way global politics works because they're caught upon the trend and the wave of the previous few centuries in that. The world is now just America. We all living in America. It's Wonder Bar, right? Like that's, <laughs> you know, it's funny you yeah. mentioned about that music video is that one of the first, um, this was Halloween night. Um, I came back from trick-or-treating and much music, you know, much music, right? For those who don't know, it's the Canadian equivalent of MTV. Much music would always run the Halloween special. Mm-hmm. And I came home, I was alone. I think my parents went somewhere and I watched, I didn't know the song, and I spent years trying to find the song, but then I found it. Um, the music video to Sunna by Ramstein. And that music video, for some reason, just terrified me, where, you know, the giantess, <laughs> the giantess uh, Snow White, you know, snorting the uh, the gold. And uh, that that was like, man. And it's funny, because I, I think I like that song. I'm not a particularly fan of Ramstein, but I think I like that song because it was in like a deathmatch music video. Oh yeah, I watched yeah. at the time it was Slender like a Nick Mondo music video. Yeah, so uh anyways, that's just uh I don't know, I, I feel like nerding out for some reason in that moment, but uh, no no, so yeah, yeah. Um but you get what I'm saying, right? Or do you think maybe I'm just like I'm just trying to white pill the <laughs> um collapse of the hyper world, the American led hyper world. Maybe I'm not maybe the neoliberal order will find a way. Who knows? I I could be wrong. You know, two years ago I thought that at the outset of COVID, I was like, Oh, maybe these guys really got yeah. it figured out. But more pointedly to the question of geopolitical ramifications disrupting the hyper world. I mean, again, from a very uninformed, naive perspective, South Korea versus North Korea, South Korea being much more amenable to the American pop culture machine. Oh, God. (laughs) Unfortunately, you see see like the reciprocal thing happening there where we export our, you know, low class pop culture machine to South Korea and then their superstars become political spokespeople for American political Westaboos, movements here. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> uh, but North Korea, which I mean, I don't know a whole lot about, and I'm at the point now where I think everything Michael Malice has said about it is, is highly suspect. I mean, you look at just the cultural and political differences in, in nations that are subject to 
the American cultural propaganda yeah. versus those that aren't. Uh, and I mean, from what I understand, Russia has serious issues culturally as well. I mean, everyone yeah. does. We're all yeah, living in one way or another under the same conditions. Yeah, yeah. You um, can't say based Russia is coming to save us. That's kind of that's not going to. Yeah. yeah. But uh, they are in one way or another establishing themselves as. Right. Uh, antagonistic to or apart from that and uh, the effects of that are hard to uh, yeah hard to predict so I don't know what the broader implications of that will be but I mean so in light of what happened today uh, you know my personal feelings aside about the issue uh, is it and this is I think ultimately the same enthusiasm for for Russia which is some kind of decisive blow is being waged against wage against the the neoliberalism atlanticism yada 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 uh and i think everyone you, you mentioned before white pilling i mean i think most people are pretty despondent pretty alienated pretty estranged yeah they have a hollywood vision of a collapse they yeah. everyone feels it's right around the corner they mm -hmm. felt that way since obama they probably felt that way during bush um so i think everyone's pretty much bracing for impact in one way or the other um, nonetheless, everything that goes against everything that's owning the libs effectively is, yeah, yeah, yeah. is an unquantifiable move in some based direction. direction. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's a great Theoret point. Theoretically based. Theoretically based. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm certainly vic uh, guilty of doing this as well. I mean, I'm, yeah. Um, but I, I do think that when it comes to, well, I wanted to talk about transgression cause I think we skipped over that. Um, but I do think that, well, th the best example of the hyper world colonizing the real would be um, American domestic cultural racial politics through Stan Twitter and um, certain elements of, uh, I guess, what's colloquially now termed as black Twitter. Mm -hmm. There's this like weird crossbreeding between Stan Twitter and like. What's Stan Twitter? St like, you know, fan, you know, normie. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Like there's a weird colonization between that and the K-pop people mm -hmm. and the K-pop people organizing for BLM and organizing for other groups and like going to the white house and, you know, Joe Biden, you know, meeting them and talking about like how you know, it's great that you're helping America by helping us heal with your music. Like it's, it's very much like, um, and, you know, of course, like, if you actually look at the reality of being a K-pop star, they're probably being whipped in the background to, like, yeah. say, yes, Joe Biden, I love you. Like, it's, you know, it's terrible. It's actually terrible to actually be a K-pop star, which is funny because all the libs that love K-pop, they don't realize that what they're actually supporting. But that's besides the point. Um, it's funny that that sort of cross-pollinization is facilitated by the largely by even though the Atlanticist Anglo mode by which the internet has become dominant, or rather that language dominating the internet, that cultural understanding of the Atlantic world, there still is the sort of facilitation in ways that I think is kind of like been forced, at least in my opinion, even more than with Japan, with the weeps, mm -hmm. with anime, with, I mean, the thing is because I think Japan has always had a cross-cultural pollination with America. It's different. Like, even professional wrestling as you know, yeah. that, you know, if you want to talk about strong style, that came from European, um, a lot of, like, the catch-as-catch-can, 
of in England, people like uh, Billy Robinson, that came from the American South. It came from Southern wrestling. And it, of course, came from native Japanese martial arts styles. That is what Antonio Inoki created when he created Strong Style. But, um, and of course, nowadays, I mean, Japan's all over the place. And they certainly have a very sizable Western audience that watches companies like New Japan Pro Wrestling. Um, but it, but that's just one example. Even anime came from, you know, was influenced by America. Like uh, American cartoon industry, right? So, but the, it seems like the Koreans, they're like eclipsing the Japanese. I think it's being forced that they're eclipsing. I don't know. Maybe there's some kind of cultural institute uh, in Silicon Valley that are saying that maybe Korean K-pop is like advantageous to the regime as opposed to anime. A lot well, of anime is very not advantageous to the to the regime, but you know that's what weebs tell me. Anyways, was I mean, this is the only thing that comes to mind for me. Japan was an actual rival of America yeah. militarily and then economically. Culturally. And, and, then, yeah, and culturally, yeah. uh, which is Korea has never been. Uh, yeah. and, and the extent to which North Korea is a, is a rival to America is as a proxy through China. So mm, the fact that, uh, or, or previously Russia, then China. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, the extent to which it's forced on them more or they are... Um, they choose to participate in American popular culture, political yeah. culture, I think is just, is just a consequence of the fact that, you know, they're not a sovereign. They're not an actual uh, rival on the world stage. Um, and yeah, you, I don't, I'm, I'm a word cell to use the language. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I don't ask me to point out to you where exactly on the map these places are, but like you, as you said, Japan is, has always been the most Western of, of the Orient. Um, and I, th I think they've they've they were an imperial power. Oh, Korea yes. has, has not been that. So I think it's it's a difference in like the political development of, of those regions where yeah. Japan could be an exporter and even uh, um, an on par collaborator with America in mm -hmm. a way that the Koreas haven't for in the foreseeable future probably won't be certainly uh, not North Korea, but. Uh, yeah, that's probably the most I can say about that. Yeah. Well, I mean, the Japanese, I mean, I don't want to say that they're, I'm not, I'm not going to say terms like superior people or anything, but <laughs> the way that they treated the Koreans, I mean, <laughs> oh boy, <laughs> that's the Japanese imperial history is quite something else. Um, yeah. Going all the people. way back to the Shogunate, like, uh, well, <laughs> the Japanese have always, I think, had more of a integrated history with the West. Mm -hmm. before china and before korea and before even um i don't want to say no not even india because india always had a very um i think out of a lot of the colonial outposts of the british the indians always had i think a more nuanced and complex relationship to the british because of by virtue of them having a very advanced and developed civilization mm -hmm. with a very rigid hierarchy the British respected that of them. I think that's what it was. Um, but it seems like this question of the hyper world colonizing the rest of, what would you call it, the global east and the global south, um, it's a very different mode of imperialism than what we had before previously, where the sort of the, the Americans in a lot of ways taking off from the British. Um, it's... 
I, I think that there truly is going to be limits to um, the soft power of cultural subversion. I think that a lot of countries probably do want to rebel against yeah. the fact the fact that like in the um, the what's it called the St. Petersburg Economic Forum, the fact that the joint statement between Xi Jinping and, and Vladimir Putin talks about multipolarity, like it's out of some kind of like what would be the Chinese equivalent, like the, the guy that Logo always talks about, the Huan Nu guy, you know that? Oh, I, he blocked me so long ago, I don't know anything he talks about. Yeah, yeah, the uh, the, 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 the guy that wrote America Against America, the Chinese theorist. Um, the fact that I think that they're talking about multipolarity is quite hair. If, if you were part of the Western power block, that is hair-raising. Yeah. Fact, like the fact that multipolarity... But when it comes specifically to the hyperworld, and multipolarity. I mean, in, in a way, the internet was always in sort of, uh, sort of um, an open forum, but back when the internet was largely regional, regionally blocked, and now the internet expanded into accessing different global regions. I don't know if the same multipolarity really carried forth, or rather the internet was a mechanism by which the West culturally colonize the rest of the world the way that coca-cola and nike and uh other corporate corporate you know you know hollywood colonize the world like what is your opinion on that before we get to the trend i think it does both i think it does both i mean i uh there's a kind of technological wilsonianism uh mm. where where you're it's it's a it's a it's a it's a, a place that can create fissures and, and right. you can author new subjectivities and subalterns and niches and cultures and those can effectively act as like digital color evolutions anywhere yeah. that they're successful enough to spread but certainly i mean you mentioned i don't remember rk or whatever whatever the russian equivalent of facebook is when yeah. i taught i had a lot of RK. a lot of a lot of students who were from former soviet blocks hmm. and and i so I, I saw like what kind of social media they were using yeah, whatsapp was, rk <laughs> yeah. it was mostly not american and it was really interesting to me and uh, I mean, obviously, the, the hostility these other nations or empires would be empires have uh, is to the fact that they view that American medium as a, I don't know, what would you say, a fifth column? Tool a, of a, subversion, a, yeah. Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's, they have a very real politic, to use the phrase you invoked, approach to it, which is this is not. They're not naive Americans who think that Lady Gaga on on the sub, the Super Bowl telling them to uh, fillet a dildo is like for, is just like a lark or just yeah frivolous. or women starting OnlyFans accounts or whatever yeah yeah they're like no this is actual evil like these are people yeah. because they don't have the exact problems that America has uh, that they can look at that much more clearly and and I mean again this is like five years ago when when it first broke about china you know you couldn't have a tattoo if you're on television you couldn't yeah they, they were cracking down on that because they're like this is the, this is how empires die so i mean culture uh, cultures that are theoretically on the ascent uh and are outside of the west i mean i think they're antagonistic and every step that that uh our cultural warfare takes to advance mm -hmm. american interests creates that that counter force within those regions too and yeah. a place like russia and china obviously uh more specifically china has the ability to arm themselves against that i mean my understanding of the of the 
blue and yellow country uh is that the in the intervening eight seven or eight years russia has been since my dawn yeah they've been developing again currency platforms things that failed for them in 2014 so that they wouldn't fail now and they're not failing now um so i mean these people know what they're doing and and, yeah. and they're very calculating and uh you know what's still kind of a mystery to me is the extent to which um those projects can can step outside of international finance and and, yeah. and ngos yeah. and things like that or if they're still subordinate to them that's i mean i'm not there i may never have the answer to that question but uh there was a slip ahead. of the tongue recently um where the russian official mentioned something about Ping and a pool of currencies sort of drawing rights that mm. they're thinking of doing through this new bank that they've established in 2016 the chinese um of course that was a slip of the tongue and they immediately you know kayfaved it and said that's not what we meant but if they were to create a rival currency system yeah. um the dominance of the american dollar would directly be under threat and that would have even more than the current conflict going on in the blue yellow country i think that would have lasting implications upon the world um but that's you know again that's speculation and that's sort of a little off topic but it's not off topic but like even the way that the current conflict has been narrativized on the internet mm. and the fact that the sort of um Habermasian project of free and open communicative information and rationality, how that has been disrupted by propaganda efforts by um, Western leaders and and sort of even grassroots uh, NGOs and agitators for the blue yellow regime. How I think that if things continue the way it's going, the sort of the switch between the information that people are getting on the ground in the West. It, it, it's in the last two years with the the global Chinese delicacy, I mean, people having to accept rapid shifts in the information networks that mm -hmm. they are privy to. Do you think that that's going to break people? Or do you think that the sort of like, that's just an elaborate cope by right wingers to say, well, you know, people aren't going to handle this cognitive distance forever. They're going to wake up one day and be like, well, oh man, I can't believe they told us one thing for so many months, but that's not real. Like, do you think that's just a cope or do you actually believe not? I don't want to frame it. Like if you do believe that, cause I'm not just you know, I, cause I know that's a meme phrase now he actually yeah, yeah. believes. But what I mean is like, uh, I'm, I'm trying to be like objective. Do you believe that it's true that people, there is a, people have a sort of a limit to the switching, the rapid cycling of contrary information in the hyper world. Or do you think that people are now accustomed to those rapid shifts of information and narrative that's a good question um i i i kind of address this in the second essay uh i kind of list like three types of americans effectively yeah i wanted to ask you about that but it was kind of confusing a little bit but yeah yeah go ahead yeah i'm confusing myself trying to think back on it but for like the the unconscious americans like the people who are effectively under the thumb of the economic american power uh i mean that they whether we're talking about who these people are and 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 that's i don't think that gets you it wouldn't 
it wouldn't answer the question to say that like cat ladies and journalists and whatnot uh, are just yeah. going to suffer yeah. uh, under the labor of this because they're so under the thumb of America. But but it's broader than just like the average boomer what, resistor account on Twitter. Yeah. 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 It's broader than just what like superficially right wing people like to think. I mean, it's it, the, the reach is much broader. You're talking before about Zoomers and whatnot. I, I think. The, look, the extent to which you're dependent on, committed, or invested in any of these artifices of, yes, yeah. of the neoliberal order, I think those people will suffer under the, the 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 waning influence of the propaganda. They are susceptible people, typically highly neurotic, um, have a laundry list of mental illnesses, usually very economically impoverished or yeah. culturally displaced. Uh, I, you know, do those people break out? I generally think no, they don't. Uh, they will live lives of despair. Uh, what did Mark Fisher call it? Depressive hedonism. Depressive uh, they he will... Yeah, yeah. In capitalist realism, he talked about. Well, also in K-Punk, he talked a bit more about the the depressive. Um, yeah, how like cons consumption becomes the palliative for the pervasive. Um, anxiety of the age that we live in like that becomes the like m even the anxiety itself becomes marketed to you mm. as a mode of authenticity a cult of authenticity um well, yeah what what it's it, i mean it's it's rubber hits the road moment uh and you know use uh bud desantis as an example you know he made florida effectively uh, a safe space yeah. for, for uh, <laughs> yeah. non-believers yeah. of, uh, of, of the unknown condition. Yeah. And uh, people are moving because the dollar doesn't go as far as it used to because granny and grandpa and uncle Ted and the cat are all dead and they need a new life and they can't find a job and this, that, the other thing. And they shut down the uh, factory it, and yeah. It's the, it's the, it's more than that. It's the degenerating effect of, informational warfare it's the declining fortune of the american middle class that yes. is pushing people into not cognitive dissonance but outright breaking from yeah, yeah. whatever life they were living before so i mean like your average committed lib uh your your average unconscious american i mean i think they can psychologically they will be forced to psychologically endure whatever comes their way and everyone who's not of that temperament uh i mean I think there's what's called the greater Idaho project. I mean, there's all these types yeah. of projects in America, redrawing state lines, people who, uh, Texas, I think formally like a few days ago filed, uh, like their millionth secession order against, uh, America. So, uh, a restraining <laughs> order against yeah. America. Uh, so like yeah. it, 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 I'll put my Marxist hat on for a second or my dirtbag hat on for a second. Yeah. It's the material conditions and the, the lack thereof. That is the bigger issue than do people not believe the New York Times anymore? Because like this is one thing that kind of drives me a little bit crazy. People talk about like the the, the loss of trust in institutions. Uh, and I, I like had that. a point about that, but go go ahead, go ahead, yeah, yeah. It, it's just the, the there's such a fracturing of America that uh, you have to talk about which people. And which institutions you can't just say the american people yeah. don't have faith in congress because there is no american people anymore exactly uh, there's no binding characteristic there are pockets of america yeah some formed some unformed 
And, uh, and that's what's more significant to me. But what were you going to say about that? There was, um, I, I think that it's, it's largely a product of like boomers and like millennial lulls. Um, there was this tweet that reminded me that was popular. It got like 200,000 likes today. And you know, the algo always pushes it cause it was like literally a thousand follower account. Um, mm-hmm. some like resistor, right? Uh, they, it seems that this sort of the malleability of America as America, the American ideal, it's being weaponized largely by the normie left. But even like the right wing does have like its own version of based America that may or may not mm-hmm. be true. That I think like, frankly, and I know I'm going to piss people off. My audience is largely American, but you know, maybe I'm just saying this because I'm Canadian. Um, it's largely, I think, a misappropriation of American mythos that may or may not have existed and to use it as a basis of deeper, I would say content within the right wing psyche or within the right wing worldview. I think that the American project in some ways is deeply problematic in terms of a older notion of the right wing in America. Like, you know, I think that there, but that's a separate issue. That's a separate issue. I think that when it comes to the picture of America being weaponized, there was this tweet, Oh, it was so ghastly. It was so terrible. It was a picture. It was these multiple pictures of Obama with Bush and with. Oh, yeah. You saw it, right? And with uh, Bill yeah. Clinton and Michelle mm-hmm. Obama and George with Senior. George Bush. Yeah. And, uh, and um, what's the other one? John McCain. And this person said, this is what America was. And that mm-hmm. America's dying. Where even though people could get along with their political disagreements and it's the the comments were hilarious because even if it was a joke it was serious in the sense Mm -hmm. that these people are nostalgic over 2000s america where the the multiple illegal wars that these people caused that led to the destruction of millions of literally millions of people the economic devastation the surveillance state like these like those three presidents and living memory caused yeah. more despair yeah. to and even people in America caused more despair than anyone else in living memory, maybe even more than Ronald Reagan, right? Like it's, but yet we have a nostalgia over this thing, this aberration that the, and, and it's always MAGA. And like, there was this meme that someone posted of like the MAGA dinosaur eating the lady of the GOP. And I'm like, you realize that like a lot of these ideas that, you know, we could acknowledge that Trump was like kind of largely a failure in a lot of regards. I mean, but in terms of the idea of a populist nativist president, whether he was that or not, like that's barring it, you know, but what these people mean, a lot of these ideas are older in America than what people think. It's just that the left wing has been so culturally dominant within America, the left liberals not the truth, you know, not the Marxists, but like the left liberals have been so culturally dominant that they believe that, you know, the fact that the GOP played the kayfabe heel for so many decades, you know, since William F. Buckley's day, uh, it's like now that that's changing, they're like, oh my God, these people. And the one, the one commenter is like, oh, it's because one side gave up on the dream of America. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, I can't Everyone believe- turns into a boomer <laughs> idiot. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But no, but the fact that like people worship this before time of 
quote-unquote civility before the post-truth era. Post-truth, again, again, I mentioned Agamben in relation to Foucault and how um, Adorno said that myth and instrumental reason were always older. Hyperreality or the quote-unquote post-truth era is much older, especially in America, than what people think. And it's like this this state of exception, this aberration that prevents civility of American discourse. I find those things so pulsive. That mm-hmm. that tweet embodied that. Like, like, what do you think? Like, do you think like the whole worship of, well, you know, I know that Bill Clinton, he may have incinerated some, you know, religious people in Waco. And I know George Bush may have redacted at least 2 million Iraqis and Afghanis and Obama did the same, but it's like, you know, at least they weren't rude. At least they weren't rude to each other. You know, at least, I mean, they disenfranchised the economic and cultural future of the founding stock of America for decades, for centuries to come. But it's like, well, they weren't rude. They, Josh, they weren't rude. (laughs) I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm making a polemical point. Oh yeah. my God, bro. <laughs> Sorry. So, so the, the, yeah. the lesson for me is because so like early two thousands, I mean, you could have called me a Democrat. Yeah. Uh, Cause I was fervently anti Bush, anti Iraq war, yeah. and I'm queasy on the, the gene editing and gay marriage issues. Uh, I was a young person, younger than I am now, culturally primed to uh, resist. Uh, and the lesson of the last 22 years has been that, nothing Americans say they care about as far as what their political rivals do, they actually care about. Mm. Uh, it's it's mm. in one ear, out the other. It's a pretext to, um, to, to reinforce the, you know, mono party. Um, yeah. So the left wing people who were protesting Iraq said nothing under Obama, suddenly became concerned about Trump starting wars, fell asleep, or now are pro-blue-yellow pro country. Um, right-wingers under Bush who were raised in hell about gay marriage are now talking about uh, how great Herschel Walker's son is as a conservative icon. And so <laughs> oh, boy. So, like, it's yeah. just all, it's just, it's it's political tribalism. And, uh, you know, yeah. I, th- I think... I'm not, I'm far from the first person to say this, but, you know, uh, nominally left-wing people, centrist people, just, I think they, uh, they lament that America can no longer reconcile itself, cannot Mm. fold old heels back into the stable of of baby faces. Um, Yeah, they can't be like American 1990s, like liberal end of history John Stewartism, like yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's it's people everywhere are aware that uh, the American prestige, American power, is very obviously on the decline, and 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 something like yeah. that, like you said, that specific tweet might have been a joke, but there are undoubtedly tens of millions of people who believe that, yeah, yeah, or profess to believe it, and I think it's just another symptom of waning American power, and whatever whatever people say it means to them is a, is just a bald faced lie. And, mm-hmm. and these they're again, they're people feeling the rub. Oh.